Well, Damon. Yes, sir. It's been a hell of a month. Great time. We've been spending more time like on the Chicago River than I ever have before in my life. You don't often see me downtown, and if you do, something special is probably happening. So we've been doing something pretty special at the Apple Store on Michigan Avenue all month as part of our art and activism series. Damon and I have been co-hosting and curating a series of events featuring movement workers, artists, creators, people who are doing the work that we showcase here on the show but bringing them in front of an audience at the Apple Store and getting participants in the audience kind of, you know, getting their hands busy, getting to do some art making and some imaginative future building. But this is all coming to a close. Oh, yes. We have one more. Nothing gold can stay. Everything ends. <laughs> but we plan to end with a bang. We got one more on the mic with poet Jonathan Mendoza and the super amazing, hella dope Mother Nature. That's tonight, the 23rd of January at the Apple Store, 6.30 p.m. We're going to be talking about the ways that we can amplify our voices, our stories, and our collective social movements. You can RSVP at apple.co slash art and activism. Come through, hang out with us. Learn some skills. And let's end this month at the Apple Store in style. One more time, apple.co slash art and activism. Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. It is indeed. I'm Kiss. I am Danny. You've said indeed a lot now. I'm, we always put it there. I'm a fan of the indeed. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, such a confident, like... It's got some oomph. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed. I'm present. Well, we are present. We are here. We have a wonderful conversation for you. It is a part of our ongoing BYP Spotlight series. Dan, what is this? BYP, or BlackYouthProject.com, an amazing website. It is a platform uh, where the social and political issues facing young black people, not only in the States, but globally, are being discussed, whether it be through long-form articles and written pieces or other content. Definitely, definitely, definitely go check out what is happening at BlackYouthProject.com. One of the things you'll see is our BYP Spotlight. So since August, every month we've been interviewing someone whose work is connected to the themes and ideas of BYP, of blackyouthproject.com, and then putting that together into a spotlight series, which you can listen to all those episodes, as well as some episodes from our archive that connect to their work. And you'll see the link right there on their homepage. Today's episode is no different. Truly one of my favorites that we've ever had. Mm. Today's guest, Jason Perez. An amazing organizer, educator, um, just like movement worker, thinker, and as Barbara Ransby tagged them, an organic intellectual. Um, so we just had a phenomenal, you know, theoretical but very human talk about moving through movement, some larger concepts of like political ideology. What else we talk about? We talked about how his organizing has taken him all over kind of the tactical spectrum and the movement spectrum mm -hmm. from hardcore labor organizing with SEIU to work on Paseo Boricua with Bate Urbano back in the day. His history was too rich to actually get to it all. So oh, yeah. just to add to his bio for things we didn't cover, he was he was molded in the Southwest Youth Collaborative Space, uh, which was really important in like, you know, the early 2000s. Um, also a, a founding member of BYP 100, the organization, um, and served as the, the national co-chair for a few years and was an important mentor to me personally. He also... Has some uh, some bars. Some bars, member of BBU, an amazing rap group, and is currently uh, the transformative justice coordinator with Kumba Links mm. and does a lot of work at Uplift High School in relationship to that. So Jason's been through this. He knows his shit. He's also one of the leaders of AfroSoc, which is... The Afro-Socialist of Color Caucus that is connected to DSA. 
So really just a fantastic conversation. We went macro, political, historical, we went personal. We talked about his experiences in movement, in recovery community, the things he's wrestling with, really just like a rich, vibrant. Beautiful, informative conversation. And he's, I think, our first mustachioed guest, <laughs> which is something to be proud of. Real quick before we get to the episode, Jason is actually working with us through BYP uh, as one of the producers of Unelectable. Unelectable is a series of three events that we're doing this year in partnership with BYP around electoral politics and radical imagination. The first one is going to be at the end of February at the Silver Room. Keep an eye out in the next week or so for all the formal dates and info. It's going to be a great show. We know that the next one will be in June and the one after that will be in September or October. So once we drop the info, please RSVP. We look forward to seeing you there. Let's get into this conversation with Jason Perez. Yeah. We're in the studio. We are together. With a wonderful guest. A gem. I'm so excited a to have you A gem of here. a guest. You might I'm be also the first mustachioed guest. Thank you. I don't Thank think you. anyone else has been in here with we just We got to bring mustache. Matt back on. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so we have organizer, artist, strategist, intellectual. Stalwart. Big homie. What's a stalwart? I don't like know. Just a consistent force. Oh, great. Okay. And yes. and one yes. of I don't want to. <laughs> yes, I am the Ron Harper. What <laughs> <laughs> of just my, my favorite people and and somebody I, I admire greatly. Jason Perez is in the building. <laughs> What's up, y'all? So <laughs> you just did a, a Ron Harper Google. Ron Harper mustache, just to see if I have been wondering where is Ron Harper. Was he in this new Bulls documentary? I feel like he wasn't. He has to be. Ron Harper has to be in this new Bulls. You know the way like Dennis Rodman pops up, or all the rest of them. Yeah, get, I like, just think in I North just Korea, think, you know. Yeah. But, but he's in Korea. No, oh, it's North, no, Dennis no, Rodman. No, <laughs> no I, I just don't think they maybe featured him in the promo stuff because he's Ron. Like only like basketball nerds know Ron Harper. Like in the, but they just put all the like people you know. I feel like Luke Longley's in there. I mean, I didn't see any Luke Longley thing though. But okay. but he, pop, I think everyone in the Bulls is going to be. I, hope. I can't imagine. I hope. I hope. Right. And if Ron Harper's not in there, Ron Harper, fun fact, has battled stuttering for. Yeah, he has a speech. Life. I was about to say that's oh. probably a big donated part of why. his time oh. to the National Stuttering Association. Maybe that's yeah. why the yeah. the more benevolent NSA. <laughs> Well, lockdown guard, like, don't get it twisted. Like, lockdown yeah. guard. Yeah. 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 So, this this show has been dedicated <laughs> to Ron Harper. <laughs> Shout out Ron Harper. So, so we have a, Ron Harper back. <laughs> we have a tradition here that we're going to honor. Two part question that we like to, to ground ourselves in. In this time, define time, however you will. Okay. This hour, this day, this season, this lifetime. Okay. okay. How is the world treating you and how are you treating the world, Jason? Um, the world is treating me pretty well. Um, I think I'm nervous about a few things. I'm applying for a job, so waiting to hear on that. Might be going going back to school, might not be going back to school. <laughs> um, so I think it's a lot of transition, but in general, I feel pretty cool, like, mm-hmm. where, where I'm at, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm just still in a, in a moment of, of transition, so how I'm treating the world, I think I'm treating the world well. You know, my dishes are cleaned. Oh. Um, laundry done. You That's know, big. And, that is huge. Uh, groceries done. I didn't meal prep yet, so I feel like, you know, and I could be maybe given a little bit more to, like, collective care, self-care practices, but I feel like this coming, you know, I got. I was just on break from school, so it's like, you're, it's always kind of like this hibernation mode mm-hmm. moment, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, basically probably tomorrow is where it's going to, like, really start where I go back to school and then mm-hmm. kind of get back into the grind of work, and, th- and actually this evening, you know, getting back to the grind of work at Kumba Links and stuff like that, mm-hmm. so... Yeah. 
but I'll be excited to see the kids. So that's always a lot of fun. So yeah, I feel like you. You know, it's going to be tough in the time we have to capture all the things you've done. Because I'm that old. Because <laughs> oh, you're, you're 38. Pro- prolific. <laughs> Let's use prolific. Right. Um, We've had much older. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe not more prolific. I just want to keep saying. <laughs> but, you know, we've, in 220 episodes, touched so many. God you know, damn. Talked about so many different community spaces, so many different organizations. So, And whether directly or indirectly, I bet we could play a game called like Three Degrees of Jason Separation. And you would be involved in some way. Mm-hmm. So... I'm not going to make you like, you know, list the organizing CV, but I'm curious, like, what are a couple places that you've worked or been part of that people might be surprised to know you were a part of? I feel like the biggest thing is like, is uh, Bate Urbano and the mm-hmm. Puerto Rican Cultural Center. Mm-hmm. Um, that and Southwest Youth Collaborative is where a lot of my organizing began. And, you know, I helped start Bate Urbano. Um, which For those was, who don't know, yeah. Yeah, it was a... Um, O- over in Humble Park on Paseo Boricua, um, was like it's like arts activist collective that we started up, me and a few other people, and um, it was like you know I think on Thursday night it was like poetry, Friday it was like freestyle, and then Saturday it was dance. It was all collectively run, mm-hmm. um, and it was the idea of just like you know creating like an arts cultural space similar to like L- L- Let Us Breathe actually mm-hmm. that was just like ran by the community and like a drop in center for like. Um, young people to come in and, and, and elders too to come in and do whatever and like mm-hmm. interact with the community but like to have like a political arts cultural space so I feel like that's like a lot of yeah and then um, you know like my first kind of introduction to like door knocking and like you know like electoral organizing was through the Puerto Rican Cultural Center and like mm-hmm. this thing we did called the Participatory Democracy Project which is you know knocking on doors in Humble Park and trying to ha- uh, work with um, people in Humble Park who are being pushed out especially around usually it was like a lot of times people think it's because of like the building prices going up mm-hmm. or something like that or like rent going up but it's usually especially like owner homeowners in Humble Park um, who are Puerto Rican usually it's property taxes right. going up so high mm-hmm. similar to what we're seeing in Woodlawn right now um, for black folks there and so it's just trying to help them get property tax relief and just like any other things that the city should be doing or the aldermen mm-hmm. should be doing um, which is so much more structural right because yeah. gentrification as we think of it is kind of overwhelming because like how can you within the logics of a capitalist state say, hey, you can't raise the prices. But taxes are, are state prices, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Like, we can, and we, we technically can, right? Like, we have these mechanisms. And to so, petition and appeal and all that stuff. Well, that's, like, on the individual level, and then, like, on the collective level, you know, we can just say, hey, you can't raise, you know, I mean, it's uh, yeah, it's yeah. three different bodies, I think, that control property taxes. I know it's Cook County, um, Chicago, and then I forgot the last body that, that controls it. But mm-hmm. that's where I learned, like, the minutia of, like, why it's important to, like, have, like, really big scale um, understandings of what politics is and like what movement is you know and so like we would do stuff all the way at the level of like getting the Puerto Rican uh, political prisoners freed mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and supporting in like in that way of like supporting like revolutionary action that had happened in the past against mm-hmm. US empire but then also like really small scale of like opening a poetry cafe which is more of like the you know like the parallel institution kind of thing right. but then also like the really formal basic bare bone electoral organizing and politics yeah. stuff so i mean that's like where i kind of learned like a holistic view of like this is what movement work is and it isn't you know one thing or mm-hmm. another you know it doesn't mean you have to do all of them but that you have to like have that, that mm, and that, account for all those needs yeah 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 i feel like the puerto rican contribution to movement particularly like in the radical space is kind of overshadowed or gets marginalized or erased in ways that doesn't make sense because it's so richly entrenched, particularly in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I don't have a, a an assumption as to why we don't talk about it. I just think there's so f- there's so few of us. I mean, like really, yeah. I mean, I think like in relative terms. I mean, like I think it's it's really just like you know Chicago and New York, and mm-hmm. then and then in Florida actually there's there's a lot of Puerto Ricans. Puerto Ricans in Florida are not as politically active. New York, of course, it is. I yeah. think you know when you're in New York organizing, it's very much. But I think also too so when you're in New York not organizing, <laughs> right, right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> when you're just in New York, <laughs> right. But I think even there, I think you know at least in New York, there's much more of um, a willingness to identify being Puerto Rican with being black, also. Mm-hmm. And like whereas mm-hmm. in Chicago, there is. Um, I think at one moment, I, you know, you could call it anti-blackness, and then at another moment, just like a understanding Puerto Rican as Latinx as not this black thing. And so mm-hmm. then, so I think that's part of why then it doesn't get talked about in the same way. But I also just think um, part of colonization, just like settler colonialism, but just colonization just is, there's a certain level of forgetting, you know, and mm-hmm. I think the state of Puerto Rico just, and that it's in this gray space of like not a state, not, I mean. Not a is, state or a state. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, not a state or or an, or, or a nation state. Right, yeah. um, still a formal colony in a world where we pretend that there's no such thing as colonies, even mm-hmm. though there is. So I think there's just like no language and imagination for what, for what that is and, mm-hmm. and how to contextualize it. I, I would always say that like too, that I think like, you know, Puerto Rican organizing, especially just within Chicago also just needs to get, you know, part of why like I think I, I moved on from Puerto Rican Cultural Center was just like I thought it, it needed to be better about um, working with other communities of color, hmm. especially black communities. And mm-hmm. I think that was always a limitation, you yeah. know, um, not particular to Puerto Rican Cultural Center, I think, you know, but I thought it was. And yeah, yeah, I think that's part of why people, I think, at times forget about it. Man, segregation's a motherfucker, huh? Yeah, I think segregation is. I think like th- theories of organizing and movement building, you know, I mm. think like when you had the advent of like ideas around like black power um, and like Puerto Rican nationalism and like, you yeah. know, like I, I think it was important in terms of like affirmations of, of who we are, you know, but I think it also started following this like ethnic model of politics, which for sure Puerto Rican Cultural Center followed of this idea of that, like, you know, we just need to do for ourselves similar to like yeah. the Italians or the Polish people mm-hmm. or that. Mm-hmm. And then we'll figure it out, right? Puerto Ricans have that same thing just as, like, black folks do. And it's like, no, there's different structural conditions that, you know, black people face, Puerto Ricans face, even Native Americans face that are very different from, like, particularly white ethnics mm-hmm. um, or even, like, East Asian ethnic folks or, or South Asian ethnic folks face that doesn't allow – that that model doesn't necessarily work. And, even, and, and I would even say that model is, is actually fairly overrated in terms of, like, if you care about – you know, whether you're on the spectrum of like you care about social democracy, socialism, revolution, liberation, like, yeah. you know, and whatever your spectrum and horizon is, if you care about any of those kind of things, I, I don't think that what Italian ethnics or Polish ethnics or any white ethnic group did ever led to social justice in any sort of discernible way for those people or peoples in general. Mm. It's a really interesting question. It's something we've actually talked a little bit about, but I've been thinking a lot about is if what people are asking for <laughs> is a a representative equal piece of this violent pie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, very yeah, often yeah. that that's, you know, that's at least how fight struggles get, you know, when you think about civil rights, it's like we are not getting our piece of this. Yeah. Right. As opposed <laughs> like, like to like inclusion think, struggles. Right. Right. right, right. Yeah. M- what topping makes the most violent pie. I'm trying to think. <laughs> Like, what's the nastiest pie out there? <laughs> <laughs> I have an, actually have an answer for you. Yeah. Oh, so wow. once I was in Quebec, okay. in Canada. Okay. Especially once you get into, like, rural areas up there. So you had, like, these, like, French uh, settlers who had no food. <laughs> like, really nothing. 
and couldn't grow things because it's winter all the time. Wow. Yeah. So what they made, <laughs> they made vinegar pie. Ah, oh, uh, yeah, that's a violent pie. That that's a violent terrible. ass pie. <laughs> so you take vinegar and but then you the just put as like much sugar or something, or as or much is, sugar as you can know. put. You just want a pie. Terrible. And what do we got? My we got God. vinegar. All right, I'm sorry. I but, but, from a bigger point. My God. But in oh analyzing God. kind of that idea, <laughs> being able to see the the underpinnings of this pie, right? Yeah. And, and that the point of this isn't so that we can all share in the spoils of empire equally. It's trying to challenge the the structures of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. How do you think about, you know, trying to move people from that, like, we don't have a big enough piece of this to we need to throw this pie off the table? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's the point of, organizing of like i think you know like you know radical organizing or mm-hmm. organizing based in that you know you want to organize the working class to believe that um you know they are the motor of society of the world and that they want to be free which is based i mean the most base of right. being free like you know some putting it in a box free in a box not free is like an absolute thing but like free of like waged labor you know mm-hmm. like having to do wage labor in order to assist you know not an absence of work per se of like, you know, the homework that we have to do, the social reproduction work that we have to do, um, you know, all the other types of labors that's mm-hmm. usually like, you know, that usually gets put on to like women to have mm-hmm. to do or femmes to have to do. Non-market. Yeah, 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 yeah. So not that work, right? But, you know, the idea is like if you abolish wage labor, then we'll be able to do that. But, um, you know, g- getting back to the question, I think the job of of an organizer just understands that. People believe the things that they're they're told through like mass media, through and also through families and life structures, and are usually fairly conservative and liberal. And so, you know, my job, our job, is always to move those folks. You know, it's not just to like preach to the choir. I mean, the the choir does need practice, and it's important. That's <laughs> have that's, you heard the choir? <laughs> hey, that's from Adrian Marie Brown. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, that, that even the choir needs practice. So, so I think that's important, but. They're a little pitchy <laughs> these days. <laughs> they, they are. <laughs> we, we've gotten a little pitchy. They, they may be Folk, right. Folks soloing when it's supposed to be choral. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, which is why they need practice. Right, exactly. But also the idea is that, like, you know, we're supposed to move folks through that, and right. and and how you move through folks through that is usually at least how I was taught was um was through organized struggle, right? Like yeah. like collective action projects around collective action, whether it's direct action, whether it's electoral politics. Or whether it's like building institutions that are radical, like, you know, like whether it's independent media companies, you know, the list can go on and on. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, those are the ways that, that I was taught that that's how you move people because there's really no, at least in my experience, there's no other way to move hmm. people out of what they believe is right about the world and how it's organized, you know. And, and, and that usually people believe that the world is organized in non-political terms mm-hmm. and that you, you want to bring people to the understanding that the world is, is organized in political terms. Mm-hmm. And that if you embrace politics in a way that actually represents your beliefs and values and the people around you that, that you have more in common with, that then you can change the world on political terms. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And and when I hear that, that speaks to like... And that's big P political, the, not yeah, just yeah. like, right, right, right. Elect, like right, presidential right, right. elections. Yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I hear that, like I hear the human and, and political, which are just decisions of power within yeah. organized structure, right? Yeah. So like, yeah. just letting everyone know that they are decision makers and yeah. that, that has yeah. been disrupted in our psychology right. and like and that someone is making those decisions right right so that's well, stolen from us right. and, and taken away from us and right. like we that see it we can yeah. go through it every yeah. single day whether yeah. you're at a public school where mm-hmm. a local school council can't can't make decisions about the about the budget and right. about the principal because they're put on probation right. and all the schools that are on probation are usually <laughs> filled with black and brown folks yeah. right? right and that was a um, choice and that was a choice right and it was an anti-democratic choice that mayor daly made in response to what 
Harold Washington helped get passed, right? Or and the people who struggled for that, or you know, just like look at our electoral college, mm-hmm. um, some of our primary systems. Like, I mean, just it just goes down and down, like all the ways, or or of course your workplaces, right? Your workplaces are authoritarian structures mm-hmm. where your boss is allowed to impinge on on your right to speak. Yeah. All you know, this whole yeah. list of things. Richard that, Wolf says, that, like, how dare us call ourselves a democracy when you spend m- most of your place in work and, and there's yeah. nothing democratic. Yeah. About no, yeah, yeah. There's, there's yeah. not like one element of yeah. it. Like it is yeah. it is explicitly mm-hmm. anti-democratic. Yeah. Like when you say you come to work, you have yeah. you have sacrificed that. So the fact that we <laughs> try to call our polity or our, our collective body when most people a democracy are spending most of their time in, in fascism. Right. right. You know, it might not be militaristic at the workplace all the time, but it's it's real Enforced by but also, yeah, I was, yeah. What I was gonna say we'll call security and escort you out and yeah. all that stuff, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 If, you, if you come, or, or, we can, or, or we can just go through your stuff because it's your work email, <laughs> yeah. right? right? Think right. about it like you, you don't have a right to privacy yeah. the minute you come into a workplace, yeah. right? Whereas anywhere else, even in like you know, Google or Facebook, right? There's an opt in thing or an opt out, there's no opt in or out, right. opt out at work, right. there's just it is what they everything is, you know, they say they claim is their problem, and that's even like for. You know, when I worked at SEIU, right, like hmm. it was like um, my social media name is like different from my actual name. And the reason why I had to do that was because SEIU was like going around firing people who were critical of the union at the time wow. <laughs> because SEIU was doing like undemocratic reforms within the locals, trying to not make the unions democratic in the name of being able to compete against capital because capital <laughs> was undemocratic. It was, it, was a weird, it was a weird series of arguments um, made by like like fucked up liberal people mm-hmm. um, so then I had to like literally change my name on social media so that then I knew that like I went and then I took out the fact that I worked at SAU in my mm-hmm. bio so that then I would never come up in the yeah yeah and so that I couldn't get like you know get caught up on that but even like unions unfortunately they practice disimpinging on like workers rights and freedoms and just and not just workers rights but human rights and freedoms you yeah. know? so I, th- I think I have a way a hook to like ground us for a, a little bit because because you're right because like your experiences and your, your bio is like really rich, right? And so like I wanna make sure that we talk about like your Southwest collaborative experience, but maybe not, right? Like yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. so I think the grounding of also just, you know, what you're offering now of to talk through all the experiences, like I see how you approach movement in all spaces as like a, a landscape for study. Okay. And so I, I want to... Does that ring true? Yeah, man. I, man, I'll be doing that. <laughs> you know, so whether, whether it's an informal, like, you, like, you know, um, the way you just talked about your experience at SEIU to this, like, greater experience, or just, you know, I've been in your home, I've seen your, like, personal library. Um, and so, like, two... I haven't been in yeah. <laughs> two, two points to kind of support where I think we can go is, w- one, in Barbara's book, Making All Black Lives Matter, Okay, she... Uh, list you as an organic intellectual. Oh, nice. Right? And Thank so, you, brother. <laughs> Thank you. And, and like, I was like, yes, he certainly is. That's why I admire him. You are, you are somebody, I don't have a lot of living models or examples, so you are somebody I try to model after. Um, and so always hearing how you can teach about movement, how you can teach about these large theories in a way where you don't seem like a superior. Yeah. Also, like, surprised me when you were like, I don't know, four years ago, four or five years ago, I was like, I'm about to go to school. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what do you mean go to school? You know what I'm saying? Like, so, so how do you know all of this stuff, right? Like, and so in, in then realizing and seeing how diligent and seeing you struggle of like going through yeah. like institutional academia, it just made my admiration yeah, grow, grow so much of like you had lived up until like your early or mid 30s without that. But I don't think there's any room, no matter how many PhDs are present, that can kind of, you know, they're not outdoing you. Um, yeah, and so yeah. like, I imagine that there there has to be some intention or some structure 
in terms of how you approach all of this work. And so we could talk about your experiences from there, but, but you are a studier, a thinker, um, and a teacher of this at, at almost the highest level that I see intimately. Yeah. So how do you That was a lot of gas also, just to thank you. intentionally. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to be running on knee for a minute, so thank you. Appreciate that. So how do you think about learning, and, and, and is that the lens that you bring into the room with you? I mean, I love learning. You know, I think, <laughs> no, I know. I, I, I say that seriously. Reading rainbow as I am reading rainbow as motherfucker. And, no, I only say that because right now I'm struggling with how to teach my daughter that, right? Mm. And, um, and I think the educational system has taught her such a, not a hate of learning, right? She does yeah. love learning, but of like, there is two important fundamentals of that, you know, which is, you know, reading and writing and trying to understand how that, you know, not just formal writing, but artistic writing, whatever. And so, you know, writing, you know, my daughter's been slightly dyslexic, so I think she's always struggled with, with both of them. And then I think there's also kind of like the thing of she's just had two parents who read a lot. Yeah. And I think there's just kind of like this attitude like, nah, y'all niggas read, I ain't gonna be out here reading. I'm out here in the streets, you know? And she's also like, you know, saw his daughters and does right, organize. Right, like, right, so right, I think right. there's a way of like, she wants to like, bring her own identity into like yeah. who she is too of course um so i've just been trying to like kind of figure that out for her and so i think it's it's caused me to think about my own journey hmm. and then her mom and frank francis to think about her own journey too and um and i think you know i know for myself um you know luckily i just had a mom who would buy me books and like really basic books too not like um and my mom loved to read too and she always just encouraged reading for fun not like to know history or whatever yeah. like my mm-hmm. mom just like has tons of books of like romance novels crime novels you know like not like yeah yeah so she slept with yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so she i mean i think she just taught me like that can be fun and then like um so she would always like buy me we'd go to the thrift store and she'd always buy me like you know it'd be like the classics like the count of mounting crisco or like huck finn Mm -hmm. or tom sawyer but it was like the um like the kids version of it yeah Yeah, the abridged version that had like a picture on one thing and then like uh Mm -hmm. and then the story on it and so, like, I would just, like, rip through those, you know? And then, luckily, you know, like, I went to, like, a fairly good elementary school. Um, Where'd you grow? I went to Edgebrook School. It's on the northwest side of Chicago. And um, it's not, like, selective enrollment. It's a neighborhood school. And so, you know, I think I just got taught to to, to read well and, and to write well. And also that that was in, like, a... It was in a caring environment where, where yeah. you got encouraged to do that, and it was also like it was like, it was also like culturally relevant too, you know. So I, I think all those things like mm-hmm. like pulled me to it. Mm-hmm. My school career was never great. I was always like a like a D to C student, and my parents were always being called. <laughs> and um, what was the comment that you got most on your report card? I think just like you know, bright, intelligent, but just can't sit still, disruptive, yeah. doesn't apply himself. You know, th- those mm-hmm. the, those yeah. the, those kind of the comments. Classics, yeah, yeah. So and e- even like um, in e- even for um for eighth grade, like I've never been in a graduation. Like they didn't let me grad. Like I graduated, but I couldn't be in the graduation. They they had to graduate me because like I got second highest in the Iowa test scores of my whole class. So like they had to let me graduate. Um, but, <laughs> but, but yeah, but so shout out to standardized yeah. tests for like helping help the guy like for real, for real. Right, right, right. It held me down. You know, like, if this was in my hands. Right, 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 right. Look, I'm not saying no children left behind, but I wasn't. Yeah, right. Exactly. So no, because if they could have failed me, they would have failed me. I, I, I kid you not. And um, so they made me like do this corny like, like fake summer school thing and it was like, you know, I, I couldn't graduate on that but um but um you know at that point like i was just like i i I was i was never like anti-school it's just kind of like i was the kind of person who just i would just read the whole book 
and then I just wouldn't do any of the homework. You know, right. I just was like, ah, whatever. Like, just like, you know, just like my head was just all over the place. I, mean, I probably had some like ADD or whatever. And then once I got to high school, you know, I started smoking weed, dropped out, all that. You know, but I always had a love for reading. And then it wasn't until, you know, reading the autobiography of Malcolm X, mm. which gave me the commitment to like understand like why reading and history was so important, you <laughs> know, and just Malcolm's dedication to like reading and learning and history mm. and that like, you always have to do that. Like it was his version of like shooting in the gym. Yeah, like it yeah, was like, yeah. and like, I think there's about two chapters. My sister, she's a PhD candidate at, at UW right now. And uh, in, in humble brag, <laughs> uh, love you, Gabby. And, um, you know, her PhD is in rhetoric and, and particularly in, <laughs> in, in, in literacy. Mm. Yeah. She just pulled these two chapters out, out of, out of the autobiography. She reminded me of them, you know? And so she's using that as like, you know, like a critical literacy practice that Malcolm practiced, but then like that people when they're locked up practice yeah. um, and that like how like formal institutions are messed up in their literacy practice. And then how this like, person cultivated his own literacy practice yeah. that actually like empowered him and did the thing that the institution was supposed to do but didn't do you know like the ed, yeah. you know yeah. your regular educational institution was supposed to do so so she kind of reminded me of that but yeah that's why i mean i think for me after that point i was always just like i didn't ever want to be an organizer who just how, like rested on their oh how old were you when at that point oh just i was i was like 20 years old okay. 20 21 that's the that's, age to, yeah, that's, to that's, have that book yeah, yeah. bring you in <laughs> yeah 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 no it was weird too because like i never read it because you know I, I was locked up i didn't read it when i was locked up and then because when i was locked up i read like the whole you're reading romance novels <laughs> no no you get ready yeah. get ready what do you got i was reading a the, series of unfortunate events i'm gonna stop it <laughs> right this has been a series of important <laughs> no um the vampire crime Chronicles by Anne Rice, like oh, so, wow. the Vampire Lestat, Queen of the Dam, kind of like some pre-Twilight. Uh, yeah, stuff. yeah. Oh, it's way better than Twilight. Oh, way better than Twilight. It's beef, beef with the Robert Pattinson. Up <laughs> yeah. There. No, because no. Okay, I mean, I can go into, but the Anne Rice novels actually deal with like existentialism, ideas okay. of heaven and hell, ideas of what is actually good and evil. Okay. Like, what does it mean to like live? Because yeah. these people have to live for so long. Oh, right. all, all, all that stuff. Like, uh, yeah. Um, and so it was just reading that. Like, I just realized, like, you know, I don't want to be an organizer who just like just rest on their skills of knowing like how to door knock how to like yeah. run a strategy meeting how to all that that you also had to understand like the context of what you're organizing in and what you're organizing for and I think there was also like this obsession of for me or romanticization but but also an obsession of like what went wrong in the 60s that like yeah. that just saying COINTELPRO wasn't enough right that yeah. there wasn't that I think everyone kind of knew that like they were being harassed and followed and stopped and up undermined by the state in that way but like you know what caused it to fracture into like a, 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 hmm. into a thousand pieces mm -hmm. and not actually succeed so i think that's what always motivated my that was also. my literal research question of my final paper oh shit okay got, yeah oh, nice. <laughs> so what, nice. what, what's what's what what answers or hypothesis do you have oh. To just, that question, but that and, just moves me so much. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, I just think it's, movements are really hard. They're just—it's like, just hard work. Yeah, it's just <laughs> yeah, like it's just you know. I think it's—I yeah. I think the deeper I've gotten into sports, like it's just you know, it's just like um, it's just like winning a championship. Like it's just—it's mm. it's, just—but it's winning a championship if you're like you know, in sports, there's like the professional leagues, right? Like it's like you know, if you're in the NBA, but then you know, if you're in the movement, you're like under the G League, yeah, you know, yeah, like you're, you're like you're like. You're, the Rockford semi protein. Th that's literally who yeah. you are. You have trying, to pay, pay for your uniform. But, but then you have to you have to beat like LA Lakers, LA Clippers. Like you have to beat the best team 
Well, and also in order like, to win. Like, also, like the Lakers, the Clippers, and fifteen other teams are all playing defense. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. It's exactly. Five on six. Yeah. 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 No. No. Th- yeah. That's what it is. So I think that's uh, that's literally. I mean. So I mean. I think there's things. And the commissioner is playing point guard on the other team. <laughs> and the commissioner is like attacking your players. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Saying they have to be out the game, yeah. doing all finding them. You know, yeah. all, all these different things. Right. So sustaining movements. To, to the point where, where they can actually win and like whether your vision is for reform. So if you're just like a liberal reformer kind of person, right? Just like if we just wanted what the Black Freedom Movement was demanding and like the March for Washington, which was like a job guarantee, basic income. Um, no, I think basic income came from um, came later on in, in the mm-hmm. 68 March, the Poor mm-hmm. People's mm-hmm. Campaign. But it, let's say even Poor People's Campaign, yeah, right? Yeah. If, you, if you wanted those kind of things, yeah. which is still... I wouldn't say liberal, but but they're fairly social democratic. Mm-hmm. Like, like just trying to cover the spread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that's just like, so if that's your vision, right, which is not, I wouldn't consider Poor People's Campaign total revolution, which is like destruction of the state, destruction of corporations, we take over, you know, mm-hmm. there's so much that you have to do right. And there's so much that you have to like, so much capacity you have to build, so much coordination you have to build, so much relationships you have to build um, with various marginalized groups. It's just really hard to do. So, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that's what I kind of, bring it to now mm-hmm. you know and that's not to sorry if i'm min- I, I i'm not trying to minimize like yeah. the, the actual killing of people of that, that and jailing yeah. and imprisoning of people that happen i think what i would always submit though is that other movements leaders infrastructures were infiltrated you know right. um, incarcerated and killed and then and their movement still succeeded mm-hmm. and so and so so that that's what we have to figure out which is what other movements have done that's before. really interesting um dame did you find any any other Pieces to throw into the pie of why that happened. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, I think that's when I found the bogs, and so like, oh like, yeah, 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 yeah. L- yeah, like looking towards um, some of the internal contradictions. So I think there was never a real decision in terms of, or not, there were decisions. That's not true, but there was conflict or tension between these more liberal reforms and like a radical, yeah overturn or recreation of of society uh that sometimes overcrossed and made like making just basic plans difficult to what we were talking about earlier mm. about like do you want your respective piece of the pie or yeah I, I, well and, uh, well uh, yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't say like respective piece of the pie i think they wanted to like like mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would say both both sides always wanted to get rid of the pie i mean you still had like people like um you know like like whitney young and urban mm-hmm. and the urban league things like that but like when you're talking about, like more like people on the social democratic spectrum yeah. like Bayard. Martin Luther King, folks like that. I think they still wanted, I guess, a revolutionary reform. I don't know what you would yeah. call it. It, it, it. it was still like a structural they change. They wanted a cobbler. I They're think, like, well, yeah, let's yeah. make a different, a different pie. <laughs> I would say like a pragmatist, a, like radical yeah. pragmatist. Maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. yeah, 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 yeah. They just wanted to own the means of production of making the pie. That was, <laughs> I mean, to, to, to not, I mean, and this might be a, a segue, this is like even not like a... Uh, a virtue signal. I, I think the hyper-masculine patriarchal nature of it was yeah. one of the things that, yeah. that came up yeah, the most because sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. it had two limiting consequences. One, it disrupt internal formations, right? Because right. even if it's not men being masculinist, the idea of the like hierarchical kind of militaristic looking uh, sh- yeah. internal structure yeah. then just suppressed, I think, what was the democratic spirit that brings people to the spaces. Uh, yeah. And then the like real abuse and real marginalization that women and femmes experienced was with us being a, 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 a Z-League team playing up against the All-Stars, right? Like we just couldn't afford those fractions. Um, and then also on the masculinist tip, one point of analysis that was really interesting to me is 
not only were we making abstract demands on the on the state, right, like free all people, right? Like if you look at the the, the, the Panthers 10-point plan, some of them are very vague, right? Like mm-hmm. it's things that we agree with and that we still yeah, honor, yeah. but it's not like a, hey, do this today, do this tomorrow, we can practically yeah, understand, yeah, yeah. right? And so if you have the limitation of it's hard for people to fight for abstract things and you're also provoking the state with the posture of we're going to come <laughs> in here and, sh- and we might shoot this shit up, right? Like to provoke the 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 might of the most armed entity to ever exist in humanity without having an internal structure set up uh and you're like oh I'm and what you're bad. asking for is right. not something even if they wanted to give it to you that day they right. couldn't and it's like and it's like and we're gonna kill you you know like yeah, like yeah, yeah, even yeah. though that was overplayed or or some of that is inaccurate there were people saying and and and, and puffing up their chest that way in these like masculine ideals of like overthrow yeah um and there was not the organizational structure to abstain it and then the actual truth is like the infiltration of liberal democracy. If you look at, if we just want to use 63 in the March, like the way that the Kennedy administration um, yeah, kind of yeah, diluted yeah. what yeah. that was, like that was happening at every turn on the local, on the national, yeah. on the <laughs> global. So yeah, it was it was attacks from every side, but I, I definitely think being a little abstract, um, not having a fully realized democratic structure and that being exasperated by like a masculinist patriarchal approach to social construction um yeah 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 and and no one has i mean if you look at the global south movements or even russia things like that like you know no one has done a revolution in like a fully developed capitalist country as yet also. right or hmm. or and, and no one i would even go as far as to say well that's so interesting yeah i, I would say this actually but it's, some people might disagree but i i would say that you've never even had a like a social democracy like reform movement completely win and then win out its 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 demands in the mm-hmm. end right like even like when you see like strong socialist or social democratic parties like in france um or even in britain like they'll win but then like capital like there, yeah. there's little capital strikes they mm-hmm. literally like try to shut down the government like they're so i i think right now the closest is depending on how where you would put brazil as like either like a fully developed capitalist country or just like or on its way to being like a fully developed capitalist country you know, I think Brazil is the closest right now, and Brazil has had the most wins and like the mm-hmm. most, um, you know, like the. But they're also and in the, the shit's fucked up right now. And they're in the, <laughs> and they're in, they're in the middle of a counter revolution, yeah. right? Right. That, yeah. That's yeah. That was the point I was yeah. about to make. That was yeah. the language that was just coming. Is that yeah. once you and this is some Keisho shit, right? Like once you for those uh, who don't Keisho our our, advisor, our advisor mentor. professor mentor. Oh, school. nice. Okay. Um, <laughs> she she was a Panther and she she was in the Bogs organization. Detroit. Oh, cool, 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 cool. Um, that's the thing she was teaching about is like there's always going to be a counter strike yeah, right so yeah, you have to be yeah. strategic especially when you you know bring up language of revolution particularly in that time right like you know black america aligning with the global south with the african continent with asian right like you know vietnam all, the way that we were positioning ourselves as we are on the other side of this is then it it, it triggered and this is it, it's, i feel weird saying it sounds like it's like a uh a bad thing, but no, it did, it's, it's, the, it's the just what happens. Yeah, it, just, it's it just triggered what happens, a, yeah. a, a counter revolution that yeah. sustained weight that is still in existence, right? Like right. we are still living in like an anti-black power infrastructure. Yeah. Like this is something Miriam teaches really well is the basic thirteenth argument of like, oh, it's just like a labor extraction. Like yeah. they want Victoria's Secret panties to be made yeah, cheaper. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, okay, that that is present, but it's actually at large not a profitable thing. It's about yeah. political domination and disruption. Right. So once there was this surplus masses, and they, you know, you did a really good job of teaching just how, um, like, what we thought Ferguson was 
just like how exponentially grander oh, yeah. the uprising of the yeah, 60s yeah, were, yeah, right? Yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. like how many people were in NAACP chapters, yeah, how many yeah, people would yeah. show up, you know, a 1,500-person march, a 10,000-person march happened regularly. On the, on it, the right, yeah. Just like, <laughs> yeah. And so, like, yeah. if capital is seeing that, like, the threat was very real. Not to know. mention, the whites weren't thrilled either. Yes, right? Yeah, so yeah. For different reasons, yeah, but, yeah. you know. Right, and so seeing that, that lineup... Um, that that is where I think then the you know the prison industrial complex you can right. you know COINTELPRO Pro leading into like you know the kind of it's almost mythological even though it's true like the Iran Contra kind of yeah. you know crack epidemic yeah infiltration. but the counter strike is always going to be more uh, impactful at least in this strike because they are the ones with the means yeah. right like they can sustain they way can. longer than the people with much less well no I mean quote unquote you know good organizing says no right like that that you get and like we have a term for it, at least like in, in in labor, it's like you you inoculate, right? Like you inoculate your people to be ready for the counter revolution mm-hmm. and the counter strike. Mm-hmm. When you're doing worker organizing, um, all of a sudden they're like gonna they start bringing you into into like closed sessions right, and like right, interrogating you because right, because right, right. they can interrogate workers. Like <laughs> you don't get a lawyer, <laughs> like, and then they start firing people, and then they right. start like going through all your stuff, and so. I think a lot of times, though, it's like the skills that necessarily are, like, are in labor don't get transferred to like what's in like more community or movement oriented or activist oriented places. Yeah. And then the things that get learned in activist and movement spaces and community organizing spaces don't get transferred into labor. So to that but, point, what are the things, sorry to cut you off, but what no, are the no, things no. that you think would be most useful for each to hear from the other? Oh, yeah. I mean, I always think that like activist spaces, like more movement oriented spaces, or community organi- organizing spaces, um, you know, need to learn about scale. You know, they have to have a vision about how do you get to like a thousand, two thousand, ten thousand? And how do you get to there like on a regular basis for any sort of action or thing that you're doing, right? Um, like if you go into C2 right now, like that's like the scale and level yeah. that that they're thinking about, you know, and how do you develop those those skills? And like, and, and Labor Boys has like internal training programs a lot of times to like skill up everybody. So membership and staff and in leadership to be able to achieve those kind of goals, right? So, um, and it can be very bureaucratic and can have its own problems mm-hmm. and very narrow, like, you know, like I, 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 what I usually say is that, like, you know, if you went into a labor room before Occupy and said, yo, I got a great idea. Like, we're going to, like, go to, like, financial sectors all over the country and then we're just going to occupy that shit. And then, like, it's going to spark out a movement and this is, like, the narrative on it and da da da. Come on, let's all do it. They'd be like, no. <laughs> like, they'd be like, never. Like, how do we get leverage over the Federal Reserve? How do we get leverage over Wall Street? Like, they would, it would be all these, like, they would get, you know, caught up in all these technical questions, which that's are so important. Yeah. yeah, like which is important, right? So, like, so that's the failure of, of of labor. But they're able to like build really big organizations that can can shut shit down um, when they decide to, or uh, win an office. And then I think the other thing that 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 labor would need to learn. I mean, similar with the Occupy example, is just um, the bigger willingness to. Um, fun you know community or, or organizing mm-hmm. that that um pushes like really extreme disruptive direct action you know not direct action like oh i'm at this thing and da da da, da but like um direct action that we saw at the scale and like in, in in the 60s and 70s you know like we're gonna shut down this whole town and like this whole town will not exist and labor used to fund those kind of things mm-hmm. and um they did yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Labor used to. I mean, like when you're when you're talking about like the it movement, would, it would be the CIO. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like. The labor used to fund those things and they don't anymore um, for a whole host of reasons. But yeah. um, and so we need to get back to like that kind of and, and labor. Not only they just didn't fund those things, they they also practice those things. Labor's version of militant mass civil disobedience is to strike. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, labor also just struck a lot more so than they were used to doing militant civil, civil disobedience all right. the time. So I think 
just like bringing that kind of culture and ethos. But I, I think the other thing too, I mean, if you want to get like more to like the, the Brazil example mm-hmm. or whatever, is that like, you know, we just don't have a workers party. Like we just right. don't have a party of <laughs> Funda- workers. Fundamentally. Yeah. Like we don't. Yeah. And, and we only have anti-worker parties. <laughs> yeah. We only have anti-worker parties that aren't controlled by us. And, and I think sometimes people don't r- realize is like, especially with, with Brazil, in Brazil, there was a workers party and then there was also a social democratic party. So social democratic parties are historically usually the parties that, that, that sell then like the the movement out unfortunately right like mm-hmm. if you look at the ANC it's more of a social democratic party the what I'm sorry uh, ANC, and, African uh, yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so they usually end up even if they have communists in it and a few other people in it if it, if it's not yeah, an ex- power, yeah. yeah if, if yeah once it gets into power if it's not explicitly a workers party then it has failings right and I think what the workers party was able to do in Brazil is why they're able to have survived a counter revolution right now right it's why even in the midst of police assassinations of elected officials, which is what we see, like with people yeah. like Marissa um, or jailing, like we see with um, with Lula, you know, you see then Lula getting freed out um, is because it actually has a party mechanism that can hmm. um, stay in the trenches and fight. It's not saying that right. they're winning, but they're at least staying in the There's trenches and fighting. Yeah, and then and they're able to like expand the, their reach and power. Still um, in the game. Like, yeah, they're still in the game, right, <laughs> as opposed to us, which is we're not in the game at all. So yeah. we're trying to get Bernie Sanders or, or, or Elizabeth Warren, whoever, whoever. Yeah. So I, that, that might be a good transition into like, there's still like 10 years of your history that like we'll, we get little pieces of. But I think right now, you know, what, what I hear you most engaged with is this Afro-Socialist caucus um, yeah. as like socialism is becoming more popularized, obviously, through through Bernie Sanders. And there's this like there's this patina of like needing to be progressive now, you know, even right. if you look in like the Chicago election. But I, I think the work of Afro-Social is is from what I understand, doing some of the disruption of the limitations of the left. Uh, so that's my, my kind of like, yeah, m- yeah, my naming of it. But but what brought you to that space and how does it feel right now? I mean, the, the incident directly that brought me to the space of Afro-socialists was um, just seeing, um, I mean, I think I needed a political home at that time. Hmm. You know, I got aged out of BYP 100. I didn't want to go back to like organizing full time. I'd just hmm. been burnt out on it. and um, And so I was just trying to find a political home First went to DSA. It was like the whitest thing I've ever done. Like just it was just not even. Can we just, talk about how white DSA? Not, I don't even so just mean white. demographically. I, mean, I need. Like, I need to. I need. To, I need to come up. I need to come up with a few like, like bits. How, how white is DSA? DSA is so white. Oh, <laughs> um, but it was just like you know I'd never been in like a progressive or radical space or social justice oriented space. That was that way. I haven't even been in white spaces that are white that way. And like, I grew up in the northwest side of Chicago. I grew up in Edgebrook, like which is like one of the whitest areas so, you can, you can so ever grow up. So what is it up. about DSA? Because I, 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 no, 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 no. I, I think it's just a self selection issue. I think in, in organizing, we say a self selection issue is, is that when you see a movement growing, a thing growing, right? And you're getting numbers in, and you're thinking, oh, I'm getting these numbers, and you're just yeah. like, no, you're in the middle of a movement moment. Mm. That's why you're getting these numbers in, mm. and you don't actually have an outreach plan that systemically figures out how to get the numbers of people into your organization so you can build power. So I think it self-selects, and so I think D- DSA self-selects for for white folks, right? I think it does self-select for some people of color, but they're not the majority for sure. Um, and then I think once people of color get there, they're just kind of like, oh, that's that's what this is. And then a lot of times they're like peace. Like I was like, I, I didn't necessarily say peace. I think it was partly like I was just in school also. And so I didn't have time for it. But also it was just like, I think for sure if DSA was like majority people of color or like half people of color and, and to, and to qualify this too, because sometimes people in even DSA will push back on this. It's just like, you know, I just want you know, make it clear that like 
the left in this country, what we understand is the left, whether it's radical, pro- progressive, or reformist, is that at the very least 50% people of color, right? Like, right. like if you're just like at the minimal, at the, like, it, it, in it, any it, metric, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's at least, and then in some metrics, usually if you're in a big city, though, if, if, if you're in a big city, then it, it's majority of people of color, right? The majority right. of people of color are the ones who vote for the Democratic Party ca- causes and then also participate in social justice-oriented yeah. or movement-oriented activities. And right? poll platform-wise, you know, whether it's militarism, yeah. whether it's corporate power, yeah, it's, whether yeah. it's wages. Immigration, like, Across yeah. the board. P- people of color are far outpace. Reproductive rights. Yeah. The f- whole f- jam. Yeah. Far outpace white, white folks, period. Right. So, um, so it's, it's just, it's literally just about like having an organization and party that is actually representative of the political project that you're saying that you're, you're mm-hmm. going after, which, which is, which is socialist, democratic socialism. So yeah, so it was, it was, it was just super white. And then, you know, I reached out to the Afro-Socialist Caucus and they were doing some things in New York. It wasn't, it hadn't really started in Chicago and then um, Afro-Socialists, like the New York uh, part of folks, um, put out this letter saying, hey, like, DSA should withhold the, the endorsement of Bernie Sanders until he says yes to reparations and, like, mm-hmm. other, like, race-specific um, type types of policies. Um, and then, you know, I reached out to them again, and then someone um, was starting a uh, DS, like a Afro-Soc DSA chapter in Chicago. Oh, reparations hook. Yeah. That gets me every time. <laughs> it gets me all the time, right? Um, but it was also, I mean, I think it was, I think it was just, it was one of those things where it's just like, you know, that's real. And like, I think it was a legitimate issue and they should yeah. have held back on the endorsement until they got some something out of Bernie ar- around that. And there was no need to rush it. And I think it was just one of those things where it was just like, White folks, I think particularly non-black POC folks who are just like, no, we just need to do this at this moment. Um, and also why DSA is is, is so wide is because like I think it's largely influenced by like folks like Jacobin, like folks like like Chapel Trap House. And I think it's just, it just has like a white understanding and like a Eurocentric understanding or like, yeah. you know, what. And then I think in the academics, as they say, Western Marxism understanding of what Marxism is, what socialism is, right? It yeah. has no attachment to the global South. Nothing about DSA holds up the Workers' Party as like what we should be modeling ourselves after and what we should be going after, which is currently right now the largest like socialist party in the world mm-hmm. and the most active socialist party in the world that's in the global South that believes in like you know, race-specific proposals, which they got enacted within Brazil, right, as well as universal programs, right? Like, like it's a both-and approach. And so I think those are the issues on it, and I think it's only going to get fixed. I mean, the idea of Afro-socialists then is that, like, you know, we set ourselves up as a caucus within DSA, but then also if people want to be a member of, of Afro-socialists, and it's Afro-socialist, socialists of color, so it's, it's you know, it, 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 it's a people of color caucus. But we wanted like the Afro socialist piece in there, just so that like motherfuckers ain't anti black, basically, you know. And like to like, and also like the labor of like the people who actually started the caucus was like eight black people, you know, mm-hmm. within within DSA. But I think the idea is like we want to grow out the membership to like you know a thousand, two thousand people, which is not that many because DSA is fifty thousand people. But we also want to be. Um, I think we wanted to correct kind of like people go to DSA like, oh, what's your thing? What's that? And and so we definitely want to think of like, that's DSA's thing and we're part of DSA, but this is AfroSox position and line and approach to organizing and approach to politics. So it's like, we're not just going to like cheer Bernie and everything, right? Like we're going to like actually have like, I mean, we will support Bernie, of course, but it'll be a critical support, you know? And yeah. like, we will like, like call him out on the things that he needs to be called out on because we believe like that's what actually makes better candidates, not just like, being infatuated with and like challenge his base, which is where what the work is really. About. Yeah, 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 and cha- challenge the base and challenge like the theory of change that they're purporting mm-hmm. and like the type of organizing. Right, and I right. think something like even like what happened in in the UK with Labour, I think, really challenges like 
what you know the Jacobin Chapo like large segments of of DSA's like theory of changes and how it works like mm-hmm. the idea of that like if you just have these big universal kind of proposals that that's what's going to get you the win yeah. um and it's not right it's, it's inherently not, top down yeah, yeah. Well, well, and no, also, well, no, no, I know yeah 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 okay. no I want to make clear um labor and momentum within that was like the caucus that was organizing for Corbett's leadership it, it, it wasn't top down it's actually okay. a very democratic institution I think it's the legacy of Western Mar- Mar- Marxism and 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 the, the legacy of, of of socialist politics and, and policies within like within the West, I think we just haven't, and by we I mean like people of color of the left who identify as socialists who identify as Marxists, you know we haven't figured out a way to like um, affect that conversation and change like the organizing trajectories and the organizing theories that happen within certainly party structures or organization structures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is maybe less in that particular camp, but in general, when you have these kind of like large sweeping proposals and th- seeing those all those also get co-opted on the right right so you see places where you know UBI is supported based on who you define as a citizen right oh so, yeah you know yeah, there's yeah, all, yeah, there's yeah. all this kind of yeah. thing of like well if we you know rising tides lift all boats it's like well they're literally keeping these boats out of the water you know yeah that yeah, you can't just say yeah. well, well we'll we'll bring everybody up again it's the difference between like equity and equality right like you yeah. have to be adjusting for power dynamics you, and, and your extended metaphor hat is on oh, today oh man you are doing it it's a weird hat it's like one of those like detective hats yeah. with the brims on both sides <laughs> and and I would it's an extended hat <laughs> yeah. oh but you and gotta I, see both sides yeah. <laughs> there it is wow wow no but and I, I would always argue that that Almost anything can be co-opted for the most part. Like right. reparations can be co-opted. Mm. Um, universal sure. healthcare can be co-opted, right? I, think I would say like the vision of reparations that Ta-Nehisi Coates has currently is is, is a neoliberal version. <laughs> you know, the, the vision of reparations that ADOS has is a is, is a conservative yeah. version, right? right? And is a is a nationalist version. Um so I mean for for Ta-Nehisi Coates, right? Like his case and his and his um for why we should do met- reparations is so that like America, the country and the project can like save its soul, right? Mm. Um, so I mean, and like putting on pause like the ignoring of Native American genocide, and maybe just okay. Let me just give him that. Like by saving soul, he means that then we would atone for Native American genocide and all that. I just think that kind of vision of what reparations is is for and about the job of reparations is not to save the soul of America. You know, the job of reparations is is to either have some level of like a socialist reform. Or a revolution of what America is and what America can be, mm-hmm. um, and to the point of America not existing anymore, right? Um, and that's like the the larger like Pan Africanist version, um, Black radical tradition version of what reparations is. If you look at like the policy specifics of what like Ta-Nehisi Coates actually talks about, he is talking about a program that will only create a new black middle class and a new black upper class and does not necessarily do anything to actually take care of the black working class in a meaningful way so that <laughs> then um, we have the abolition of, you know, the wage wage labor condition and also ab- abolition of like class differences as we know it today. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's like, I think any dream of equality, liberation, equity, whatever you want to call it, freedom, has to have some sort of class analysis to it. And it has some sort of way of like, getting rid of the class relation as we know it today and class relation in terms of like there's laborers and workers and then there's like bosses and owners of capital. There, there, there's no point in Tiny Sukkot's thing where he wants to decommodify labor, decommodify property um, and put it into the hands of like 
workers, whatever, people, mm-hmm. black people, whatever it is, right? He so, can only imagine it within the existing structures. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's, not, there's no moment of explicit anti-capitalism, right? And I'm not even saying socialism, but just explicit anti-capitalism. And it's important that any sort of reparations vision is explicitly anti-capitalist. And I would even say, I would even go further saying that it also needs to be like radically democratic, meaning that like, you know, any form of reparations always has to embrace the idea that, like, we had to do away with the electoral college. Like, we had to do away with, like, the two-senator system. Like, we have to do – that. there's all these other reforms that are that have been put in place literally to enforce, like, anti-black policy. Not anti-blackness as the right. abstraction, mm-hmm. but anti-blackness as, like, we do not want the descendants of slaves to actually exercise meaningful political power right. so that their policy preferences are heard through the government system, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so – Otherwise, it's just a payout, basically. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it literally, it literally is just a payout, and it's and it's literally just like that. And it's understanding slavery only as a labor relation, and it's understanding slavery not, not as a social and political structure. Yeah, that that defined who is a citizen, who isn't a citizen, right. who is a human, who isn't a human, and was able to then and and also a project that was was about being able to have other non-black people define their humanity, citizenship, right, and and what the polity is and isn't. So yeah. Hmm. I have so many big questions that I want to see where, where you're at. I just want to make sure we get time to talk about you, the artist. <laughs> oh, oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We got to. We got to throw that in there. <laughs> yeah. So you're one of the few people that we're having on who I've interviewed in a previous life. <laughs> Do you remember oh, way, 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 way back? So you came, y'all came to Grinnell as BBU. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it was Wait, the, you were there? What? Y'all, were oh, y'all the, both went to Grinnell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, shit. I didn't so, realize this. Oh, shit. BBU was the first Chicago group or artists that I ever interviewed. Oh, shit. Okay, um, and we had a fantastic... We've talked with Eddie Sanders on the show about this. We nice. had a fantastic long interview live on the radio. I was recording it. I was going to put it on my show. And uh, the recording got lost. Oh, it just shit. didn't record. Wow. And we talked for like an hour. And I was like, oh my God, this long form interview thing. <laughs> I could do this. It's so exciting. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, it yeah. was lost in no. the ether. So this is in some way like... Coming back. We're, we're, we're addressing to... that. And then we had Eddie on <laughs> nice. a couple years ago. Nice. And like we before we got to like all his like Esquire law, chain, you yeah, know, trying yeah, to change yeah, yeah. the local infrastructure thing. Yeah. We talked like for 30 minutes about BBU. Oh, awesome. And then, and then the file got corrupted and we only had the second <laughs> half. So we've been trying to document BBU for <laughs> years. Yo, yo, so in the way... <laughs> We can't even do well, it now. You no, know, you want to hear something. But ter- we got rich. You want to hear? You want to hear something terrible? Okay, good. You got rich. Because no, ones, you're yeah. scaring me about our luck right now. Because we're trying to get our stuff on streaming sites. Uh-huh. We can't find our stems. Oh no! It's too hot. We can't find our files. <laughs> that might be what it is. Y'all are too underground. Like so man, much. we are way too underground. We did that shit way too the much. The music's more underground than you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I want to contextualize it too, because to the point of like you know, my appreciation and admiration. Sometimes it might come off like I'm being silly or facetious, but I was like 17, 18. It was the summer I graduated high school. It was like just trying to like, I just had so much desire to be socially connected to our cultural scene. Yeah, yeah, It felt felt kind of like on the outside looking in, but starting to get little cracks. Uh, And that was, I think y'all had a show with the cool kids maybe that year. I know y'all had, I know y'all had a show with J. Cole. Yeah, for sure. That year. Um, And it wasn't until years later that I saw you and then realized that like the bars were these kind of like hidden, latent, you know, (laughs) there was some like latent radicality in it, but it also was just turned up. But y'all were in the mix in a way that was like local, independent, but substantial, right? Like y'all weren't looked at as like chumps or like these local cats. It was like, this is of our own. Uh, And so, yeah, I just always fuck with BBU. Nice. Super tough, like from that, and then you be, then I saw you in the BYP space, and I was like, oh damn, this nigga's raw as hell, like <laughs> 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 to the point of like the aberration. So yeah, so that was just some more gas for me. I, I'm sure you have a yeah, more pointed you, question. So one, 
Where are your wraps these days? I mean, I think we're working. I think we're, we're all supposed to meet, I think, this Saturday at 11. So we're trying to, like, <laughs> oh, we're trying to right. figure it out. That's on the calendar. My wraps, my, my I mean, hopefully they'll come out, you know, like, I mean, Rich always has wraps, you know, like, yeah. he, was, he was always the most gifted lyricist in the group. So, like, that's, he has wraps for days. Mike has wraps for days. Eddie has joke raps for days. <laughs> um, I'm trying to actually probably more get on Eddie's level in terms of joke raps. But, um, yeah, I've just been trying to, like, get my head around yeah. rapping again. I think... Uh, Last time I wrote a verse was probably a year and a half ago. There's moments where I don't even understand how to write. You know, I think what was nice about back then, and I think just growing up or whatever, I could always like hear myself in a rapper or like hear a rapper and be like, oh, I want to do that or I mm-hmm. want to be able to do this or whatever. And nowadays it's just, it's much harder mm-hmm. to do that. I think the closest ever comes is like probably like 2 Chains, ASAP Ferg and um big sean but even then like i feel like i don't still there's moments where like i i, I hear myself in their sound but i don't hear like i don't the content certainly not the content <laughs> but i don't even <laughs> think that's what you were i think it was just like flow wise you mean yeah like flow yeah like flow rise and just being able to say like oh can i do this you know i think yeah. there's like at least for me right now there's always like this moment of like you know can i do th- i think you know rapping is really hard i think people don't <laughs> You know, people that want to hate on like, oh, like two chains don't say shit or like this person doesn't say shit or what. Yeah. It I'm is like, a challenge. <laughs> it is hard to like not say shit and make it sound good. Like, I don't care to, who to, you are. To like, make someone not want to immediately turn you off rapping is, is an amazing yeah, skill. That's why yeah. I, don't, I don't hate on any like rapper that exists. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. I cannot, I can have critiques, but if yeah. somebody doesn't turn your voice off. You did something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, that most people can't do. You are in the 1%. Yeah, no, people would do that <laughs> with like, with, like so, with Soulja Boy and shit and you'd just be like, that, that, he, that man is making like music like, he's yeah. making songs like he's like like thousands of them yeah like he's a gifted <laughs> artist like i mean you might not like the content or whatever it is you know but it's 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 it's, it's amazing what this person is doing so so yeah so the people who you name, like we said we talked to eddie talked to rich we're not talking to you it is kind of like a particularly wonderful group of people <laughs> like music ability aside like you're right, right, just right, kind right, of like right. good humans now okay <laughs> I mean, maybe you were that Thanks. i just didn't know you that well <laughs> But do you ever do you ever feel lucky that that's who you were making music with? Because I think about like our friendship and partnership. Like, there's nothing that said that at 27 we, we would still like each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, be yeah, decent yeah, people yeah, or not yeah, be fucking yeah. things up. Like, yeah, it's oh. kind, it kind of seems like you caught lightning in a bottle in terms of like personalities. Oh no, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Were we, you aware uh, of it in the in the oh, meantime? No, no, no. <laughs> no. I mean, it, I think in many ways it wouldn't have happened without Mike. You know, because Mike was just like the he was the person who just didn't have any like. You know, Mike just doesn't necessarily have that that voice of self doubt or whatever. Yeah. Like he's like, uh, I'm trying to think of a ball player. Like, like he has like Deion Nick Wade, Young, like, like Nick Young or Deion Waiters. Like just like, just he's putting like, it up. Yeah, like he's just shooting them. You know, like it don't matter. You know, what I'm saying like he know what he do. And um, and so he was the one who was just like, man, let's just get on stage. And you know, me and Rich were like, no, we need this bar and that bar and like this thing and that thing. And he's like, no, you don't, motherfucker. You were like, like trying to, you were trying to organize. Yeah, right, right. And he just kind of get in your head in it and mike was the best thing about like you know like get the fuck out of your head and just like perform and yeah. just and just make a fucking you were, hook you were the labor of hip-hop <laughs> so like you did that, a strategy yeah yeah right exactly like, like just go just, get up on stage just go occupy land yeah, no, that work. right 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 we're right trying right. To door knock. right exactly like, he's like have, no no just make the beat knock <laughs> right right I mean. he's just like i wanted a 15 point plan and this and that right and it wasn't that deep you know so 
Shout out to Mike on that because I, I don't ever see BBU ever happening without Mike because he's the one who introduced us to Connect Four. Mm. Um, and then that's where we started performing all the time. And then where we met like a whole other group of artists. Being able to perform somewhere at Q4, which is like an open mic that's super packed. Yeah. I think it just really focuses you on like your craft of stage performance. Was that in Wicker? That was in Humble Park. Humble, it was like okay. oh, by like North and Kedzie. Okay. So they're, they're yeah. now, they have a big... Q4 now has Thing. a big space on with Chicago or Grand. I think so. Yeah, it's where yeah. Big Kid Slam is. Mm-hmm, they have a radio mm-hmm, station. Mm-hmm, we should mm-hmm, talk to them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they've been doing this for, I think sometimes, at least in my mind, they get overlooked because they were doing it already before like the wave Things that we kind of came in on. Yeah yeah. 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 Before the internet, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so for. So for you coming out of that experience, what's something from the like music side of your life that has changed how you do movement work? I think, yeah, I think the biggest thing from the music side was just kind of like, you know, don't fall into like the like the smartest guys in the room syndrome of just <laughs> like thinking you need like the plan for this plan, for that plan, for that thing. Like it's just, um, especially if you're already a planner, like the best thing for you to do sometimes is just to go do it and like, for, like let go of the plan that like, that the plan is so within you already mm-hmm. that you can just like kind of you know follow through like i don't think that like if you know if bbu didn't happen i don't see like you know being okay with just like starting byp 100 from scratch you know with other folks would have just been like as organic to me or as like you know like mm. instinctual for me and it, and it was it, it was definitely that and i think also too is just like <laughs> doing stuff with like friends and people that like you that you fuck with like is important artistically like, i don't believe that organizing wise but artistically you know like I, <laughs> I, I i um i you know i believe that that is important you know and like that's what makes it like a fun experience you know so can we talk about that distinction a little bit of like that that's not something that you bring to the movement work that you have to like be friends with your people but yeah yeah i think <laughs> yeah because I, I mean i think that's that's like if if you could make a list of why I don't I don't know I don't want to say why the left is failing right now but like why the movement is not where it should be you know and especially if you think about like the movement for Black Lives why it isn't where it should be right now this is how I was taught it right like, like organizing is about like public relationship building and <laughs> political relationship building and not political in like the corrupt sense and the vapid mm-hmm. sense of like eye for an eye and just like you know you get yours you get mine right mm-hmm. but it's like the people you make decisions with. Right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like, how do you move from self-interest to collective interest, right? right? And that's what you're trying to move to. And so it doesn't mean that you're always going to be friends or friendlies. It doesn't even mean that you're going to, you know, any strong movement is going to have to have a spectrum of ideologies of, right. like, people who are more liberal, people who are more reformist, people who are more revolutionary and radical, right? You need all those kind of spectrums. People um, who can rap, people who can't rap. Right, exactly. <laughs> and you need to know who should be rapping and who shouldn't be rapping. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so you need and, – and, and the point of organizing and, and politics is to, like, actually – like figure out a way where you stitch out those those differences and build on those differences and then figure out like a democratic and accountable decision-making structure so that you mm-hmm. can like build strategy, build tactics, and build how to confront like the people who are oppressing you, you know, mm-hmm. the institutions that are. Um, whereas I think music, I mean, I think there is people who who do, like, you know, when you look at Danny D. Kane, I'm so aging myself right now. <laughs> but like, D. Kane? <laughs> where is this about to go? Because wasn't Danny D. Kane like the, the reality TV the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, okay. so it's just like a group that gets right, like right, right, thrown right, right, together. Like, right. are these people friends? Are no, they, like, do they really fuck with each the other? Boy band thing. Yeah, 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 like, like it's not like Boys to Men or something where it's yeah. like, they're like, but like some of them are brothers 
and they and they they've been singing their whole life. But yeah, all that. Shout right? out Pivot, Pivot, best boy band in the world. Right, right. Did you know that Questlove and Tariq and Black Thought went to high school with Boyz II Men. Oh, I did not know that. I mean, yeah, it makes they sense, all but, went to high school. Oh, together. I could see that. I and it wasn't that. even an arts high school, right? No, it wasn't an arts. Oh, they just interesting. Went cool. to high school. How crazy <laughs> so, is that? That's that's it makes sense though. Philly's small. Philly is small. Most cities are just small. Like once you. I feel like sometimes people don't realize how big Chicago is mm. until you go to other cities. You're like, man, Boston's small. Like all these yeah, other yeah, cities yeah. are like are small, yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, compared yeah. to compared to Chicago. I but, completely derailed us. But you're saying, oh like, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, 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 the social relationship. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. And, and so and so that, that doesn't mean that you don't have you have you have to have relationships that where you respect each other, right? That you're accountable to each other, um, and that you're willing to hear each other out, right? But I think sometimes that people tend to want to romanticize the type of relationships we need to have in movement work, <laughs> you know. So you get these things of like, oh, we're a family, right? Or we're this, or like, or even like we're a community. Which uh, how I was taught, and maybe this is maybe this is too masculine. Maybe this is too like traditional or, 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 or technical, but it's like, no, you know, usually you're taught that you're either we're we're an organization or we're a campaign <laughs> and um and that like we have set of objectives to like to fulfill and it's and and so i think it's just like it's it's just a kind of opening up like the spectrum of what kind of relationships you can have that are not just like friendships and like the more right. kind of like traditional sense or what you read in a book or see in a tv yeah. um so you know there's like so I, I've had a lot of movement relationships um, where I wouldn't call them friendships, but they're relationships that have fundamentally changed my life and who I am and what I'm about. Those are just as important as like the deep friendships I have with like someone like Rich or Eddie or yeah. Mike or whatever. Yeah. I explained it recently as they're incredibly intense and involved relationships, but they're not necessarily intimate. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I would say, well, I'd say there's an intimacy. I, I would always hmm. say there's like a deep, there's a deep intimacy. Um, I think it's just a different kind. Let's of, define intimacy. How are we each using the... The concept. I'd say for me, there's like an emotional vulnerability that I would withhold in some of those relationships that like I'm willing to like put myself out there in certain ways. There's certain kinds of trust that's built through collective action and movement building. Yeah, 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 that's yeah, really yeah. different, at least for me. And this is just my own thing from the kind of trust that I build with someone that I feel comfortable sharing certain kinds of vulnerabilities with, you know, and not expecting the uh, both sides to do the work of the other. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree with that. I, I, I just think, um, you know, movement work, organizing work, you hit a different. I, I don't think it's the same intimacy. Like, let's say, um, that I have with someone like Rich, right? Mm -hmm. But like, also with Rich, because I've never done a direct action with him, I've never had this intimacy that I did, you know, when doing a direct action against cops, right? Right, of like our Congo. lives are yeah, 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 intertwined. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I've never had that. I think it's just a different. There's just this good book by uh, like Frances Francesca Poletta called like It Feels Like a Fever, and it's just like, <laughs> and it's um archive all of the um, just interviews with SNCC members mm. right and then feels like a fever is like something that one of the people who did the um, sit-ins said um, that like in terms of why they were doing it and then like why they kept on doing it yeah. um, and fever in a good way right? yeah you know? no that and rings so true there's are... that heightened kind of like very alive very sensory yeah. mm -hmm. very present very focused still feeling that you get where it's, everything's chaotic but you don't feel chaotic it's comparable yeah. to like spiritual yeah 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 it's it, yeah and i would always say yeah actually th th thanks for that yeah i would always say that like movement relationships organizing relationships political relationships are far more close or at least for me in my experience to like the spiritual relationships that i've had mm. like especially in recovery like where like those kind of relationships versus like friends mm. that i've had which i think are spiritual in their own way but like spiritual like how you read in a book spiritual like that that's what movement relationships yeah. become mm. oddly enough um at least at least for me can you yeah. talk a little more about that like what 
where does that spirituality live kind of in each of those? Like, what does that mean for you? So I think it lives just mostly that like, um, that who I am is connected to something that's much larger than me, much, yeah. much bigger than me. And that like, in order to reach that thing that's much larger than me, bigger than me, I have to connect and be like in community and in struggle with other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But at the same time, I have to like projectile myself against these forces of destruction, yeah. these forces of oppression in the world that are like hmm. depressing us, dehumanizing us like ravaging our lives right ravaging yeah. ravaging our families' lives ravaging you know daughters like like everyone's lives right and so i think it's it's spiritual in that way of that like you're trying to become a force for good to go against a force for evil mm-hmm. um in the most direct like unapologetic like bare way is capital possible. r real yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Like, does the transcendence of, of time and space kind of resonate for you oh yeah. like for me it's yeah. like <laughs> I am continuing an ancestral work that, like, I have read the story. Like, I, I know that this has been done before me. And I know whether we win or fail, this is impacting yeah. generations that are not yet here. But, like, also, like, Dr. Manhattan shit. Like, but it's all happening yeah. right now. Like, and I see and feel yeah. that similar to how someone in a church thinks of, like, their ancestors or angels. Yeah, or no, I, I agree. Like, I remember, like, we did this action at um at the first movement for Black Lives Convening. They were trying mm-hmm. to, like, arrest this boy right, and stuff. Right, right. And who talked yeah. about that? Someone we had in Jimmy? Someone uh, talked about that. It might have been Essence. McDowell, mm-hmm. maybe. Oh, okay, Essence. Was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so, you know, after that action, action, right, that boy got, like, luckily he didn't get arrested, right? He was going to get arrested on some bogus stuff. And um, I don't think I ever felt, like, that moment of clarity, Right. And like that moment of like non dissonance, like <laughs> a- ever in my life, you know? And so, and I think, yeah. and it goes to like, I think like, for, like Fra- Francesca Paletta like talks about it and, and like it feels like a fever. I think, you know, I think there's something to like when you're, because I think so much of our dialogue and discourse, especially when it comes to spirituality, is like focusing on these like inner things, right? And yeah. especially like even like self care work and like just kind of like oh, that well, whole and mindfulness is and my, yeah, 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 yeah individualist acts. Exactly right. It's these individualist acts, and I think there's something to like movement organizing and movement work when it's done right, where then it allows you to understand your spirituality in, in a different way in mm-hmm. terms of like what does it mean to projectile yourself against the forces of evil in this world and forces of bad in this world. And then I think for me, what surprised me is like when I was able to do that, not just in a strategy session, not just in a thing, but like in real time, yeah. like boom, right then and there um, against cops that are like pepper spraying you, doing all these types of things at you, but you're doing it in like this organized way and like this way that's like actually disempowering the cops, right? Like right. They, they're not able to inflict the violence that they want to inflict, which is their violence isn't just like the violence like, oh, I want I, I want to hit you. Their violence is they want control. Like, right. like, like they, they want domination and control. And even if they're hitting you or doing whatever things. They are not gaining that control. They are not in control, yeah. right? Like, that's <laughs> the point. They are not in control. They are not dictating the terms. And, the, you know, like, and as simple as like, they just wanted that boy arrested. Like, yeah. that, that's how simple. <laughs> that, that was their thing of control. Yeah. And like, we're able to take that from them. And I think in that moment, you know, I didn't realize that like, I was holding that dissonance in. Like, I, I did not realize, like, I was holding in, like, you know, like, the Carlsville State. I was holding in, like, being a black Puerto Rican person in America, like, in relation to, yeah. to to police and what that means. Like, I was holding in all those things, and and it just kind of, like, pours out of you, you know? And it, like, it kind of goes to this thing of, like, France Fanon in particular, he said that, like, you know, like, clarity comes for, like, for, for a black person or a, nat- or, or a native. His was thing, like, through an act of violence against, against like, the, 
your oppressor, right? And I'm not sure I believe that it has to be an act of violence. I do believe it has to be an act of confrontation and force mm-hmm. against your oppressor mm-hmm. that disempowers them and causes them to right. be out of control. And I feel like violence is one way of reclaiming power, right? Yeah. There are yeah. other ways. Yeah, 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 yeah. Power, exa- right? yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, but that's like my own partisan belief. I just want to make that I'm not like, like there's definite valid reasons, valid, valid arguments for, for, for political violence, for liberation. And he said, like, you know, like, psych- so psychoanalytically, then, like, you get a clearing within, like, yourself and mm. within your spirit and within mm. your body and yourself. Mm. And that he was like, that was the only way, like, for, like, black people and Native people to ever get a resolution within themselves was, was through that. Wow. And I think in many ways, like, I, I believe that at some, like, basic level. Like, I, I believe that for black people in a relationship to diabetes, let's say, right, because I'm pre-diabetic now, like, one important way will be healthcare for all, right? I think that that'll be very, very important, right? No doubt. And a universal healthcare for all that, like, you know, looks at racial disparities and understands them and all that, right? But I think another another important way will also be in the the dance of the fight in order to achieve that and to right. get that and the confrontation with those that don't want us to have that. That is also the thing that will... I think make us healthier at like some sort of metaphysical level. Yeah. I know this is all hokey pokey no, stuff. No, 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 but no, like no. you're right. Yeah. This is a whole, I'm like, y'all niggas love this, this stuff. Like, like my mind is like, <laughs> no, no, no. this is this is how we get down. <laughs> I mean, the thing that you always say, right, is that action. Who it's for is the participants, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah. It has its effect, but the, yeah. the act of transformation. Because even if the next day the police arrested that kid, yeah, it doesn't. You can't necessarily control that. Like it's not a full reclamation of power, but like it changed your life. Yeah. measurably talk to have that release later. yeah and it means that the next time that you have that and the time that you walk down the street that isn't in action and when you sit down to write and when you get on the microphone like that clarity that release it might not always be completely accessible but you've experienced it before you, you know it's yeah. there yeah right it's yeah. the same way like we talk about freedom square like when i talk about walking into standing room and be like oh these this thing that i wouldn't believe if yeah. I hadn't experienced it. Yeah. The act of having experiencing it means that every other day of my life I know that that's a possibility. Similar to like when people say they see or meet God, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can't go back. Yeah. Like when you see yeah. Jesus in the toast and I don't mean to belittle, but like or like a, a, a near death experience where they like yeah, you know, yeah. it's that same right. type of like this reclamation, man. I, really... I mean, except ours are real. <laughs> Wait, what? What happened? That except ours are oh. real. Oh, okay. <laughs> but that's a different story. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Wait, you don't you don't <laughs> feel like people are having those experiences as real when they're like, oh, I feel like I talked to God, and their experiences are real. Oh, you don't feel like God actually came in and talked to them. I don't think that it's... No, I'm being no, no, serious. No, no. okay. I'm being serious. So some of it is me being just a, a, an obnoxious person, but. No, I don't think that there is an external being putting an image of Jesus on a piece of toast. That I don't oh, believe. okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> the no, experience, that, yeah. I do completely okay. believe. And I, I didn't know we were talking about yeah. Jesus on toast. That was the reference that I used. But I think that okay. experience... But it has ex- real impact for people. But it is exactly Maybe what it you, is, though. Maybe it is. I mean, if God was really like a person of the people, he would put it on toast. <laughs> like, it wouldn't be like some dude on a mountaintop That's or something. Like, it would be on a toast. People have been making bread for a long time. <laughs> right, right. That's like, funny. Yeah, this makes but, sense. Yeah. But, I but, do, but what I do think is real to the point of like, what is the actual thing is the same thing that you described, right? Of this understanding that your self, your in, not individual, your personhood, your beingness is connected, that you are a piece of something trying to look at itself. Yeah. Right? That yeah. you you don't stand alone. You don't stand outside of your, you know, intimates, your neighborhood, your community, the plants around you. That like that what that moment of clarity is for in a lot of cases is this understanding of the interconnectedness, right? Yeah. The incredible rush of um Almost like relief yeah. that that can give. Yeah. Of like, oh, 
people are so afraid of being alone, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. so much of yeah. this clarity is understanding, like you said, whether it's connected to a lineage, whether it's connected to the people around you, whether it's connected to the natural world, that like you don't stand alone. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way you just claim power, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, people yeah. need that so badly. Yeah. And we, they do so many, are willing to make so many compromises to and commit so much violence on themselves and the world and other people yeah. to like assuage that fear. Yeah. Um, and sometimes we don't know we're doing it, right? Absolutely. I think, I think that's the biggest, like, I mean, I think after especially that action, like, I think I didn't realize it was, you know, because sometimes I get too rational brain-ish, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. so I think you just don't realize, like, how much it's, you know, w- like, weighing on me. You yeah. know, like, the oppression yeah. that you feel every day and then, like, how you internalize mm. it um, and how you either, you, or you even personalize it, like, oh, this is about me when it's like, no, this is just, like, well, capitalism or anti-blackness yeah. Yeah. or, you know, But even that's yeah, all up here, right? Yeah. It's like there's that... Well, well, well it's, it's up building. here and it's, it, and it's, but I think it, it, it stays in the body, Absolutely. right? Like, it stays and, you know, I think, you know, at some level, it lives in the body in terms of like whether it's cancer, tumors, mm. diabetes, like you know, all those kind of things. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, per, I'm a person of science. I do believe in science and medicine. <laughs> like whatever, whatever. You're you not going to get come for by the science community. You're saying this is okay. <laughs> well, no. Sometimes I think I, <laughs> the the union of concerned scientists is going to no, send you a formal. No, letter. it's not that. I think like I think especially like my time with like, like BYP 100 and women for black lives stuff. I think sometimes um, I noticed like I would, I would, I would express things. I would say things. And I, I think did this happen around like, you know, like anti-capitalist politics and socialist politics and, and like belief in like, in like in, in organizing the working class, things like that. There was this assumption that if I was making like this criticizing anti-black stuff and say how important anti-blackness is that, people were also understanding that like I have an anti-capitalist critique I have like and like it's important to organize the working class and it's also important to like build solidarity with like other people of color and it's important to like yeah. build solidarity with like white workers and yeah. things like that and then you know I would see it get shifted into this thing of like no that means we just can't have solidarity with anybody oh like you know we only need to organize this faction of people who identify in this way mm-hmm. and then do these kind of things and so I think nowadays, I think I give a lot more caveats to <laughs> what I'm saying. Because, to do that. I will say, yeah, we, yeah, we've definitely seen an increase in caveats. <laughs> yeah, well, just, just to contextualize it, so it's like I'm not like totally, yeah, yeah. Like I, it's 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 within okay. context of what I'm, what I'm trying My to say. Calls it a pop up. Oh, it's okay, like the, yeah. The things you yeah. have to like yeah. disclaim and yeah. then you can move on. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I'm I'm so interested in. Um, I wonder, has anybody? kept any connection or 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 tolls on the young man from that Cleveland action. <laughs> yeah, actually Madi Madi did. Um okay. Madi um got the mom's information. Madi used to uh she's the one who started Healing Safety Committee in BYP one hundred mm-hmm. um and was like one of the original founding members of mm-hmm. BYP one hundred. Mm-hmm. Um and she's she's in Philly now. But yeah, she followed up with the mom a few times, but the mom was just kind of like, nah, I'm cool. I want to talk yeah, about it. Yeah. What's done is done. I would just, I would just be Peace so interested because he yeah. was 15 at the time, so he's probably about 20. Like, yeah. just like the, the psychological, yeah. re- like, yeah. I'm With going that, through man. some shit. I'm getting fucked up because people were inside when it started, right? And people yeah. like, so like, I'm I'm just outside living my life, living the black experience. I don't yeah. know if he had had experience with police before, but was definitely familiar with all the cops are fucking with me. Yeah. And then just thousands of people, of radical descend. black people come out. And just, and, and just them, right? yeah, and like, yeah. I, I, and then seeing, because I wasn't there because I get depressed and don't check my email. So I missed like the coordination of it. But I was obviously like there in spirit and super connected and like watching it. And I also think that was the first time just back to like the cultural spiritual. That was the first time I 
I saw all right, Kendrick's All Right. Oh yeah, we gonna be all right. Like I think, yeah, I think yeah, it came organically yeah, it from that moment yeah, it into did. like it then becoming like the movement so, thing, which yeah. makes sense because everybody had converged. It was yeah. in the same space. Yeah. So then from that, you started seeing yeah. it being done yeah. all over the, the city and it just it's just it, it is such a watershed moment yeah. for the move because it also was the only national convening of all these organizations. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I would be interested to see because it's it comes up. This is not the second time. I feel like this is like yeah, the third or fourth time, time that that, yeah. that people have reflected on how that moment. Change their life in this way that we, we should have him on the show. <laughs> if we could, we had hit up Marty. There you go. Just yeah. hit up moms. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Can yeah. I ask you a, uh, a somewhat personal question that you don't have to answer if you don't want to? Oh, sure, no pressure. <laughs> well, I just want to be. Just you give you that space. Were you involved in movement work first or recovery first? Oh, um, I was recovery first. Yeah, mm-hmm. recovery. Oh, well, I mean, I guess it kind of happened all at the same time. I mean, <laughs> but I wasn't like movement, movement because I, I got out. Um, when I was 19 and I just couldn't get a job, like a regular job, you know, I, I applied at a bunch of places and then luckily um, ACLU hired me mm-hmm. as like, just like a program assistant, like an administrative assistant kind of thing. And they're the ones who taught me about felony discrimination and why it's messed up and that I was being discriminated against. Like, because oh, of how, I was like, what? Like, I didn't even know about yeah. that, you know? Um, and so, and then uh, luckily at that time they had like a youth organizer there because like they're fighting against like, being able to like search kids' lockers without a warrant, you know, hmm. and so um, unfortunately they didn't they didn't win that right, and like people can just go up in kids' lockers, unfortunately, and so I think that's what introduced me to the movement world. But all all during that time, I was still going to twelve step meetings, um, and it was just basically you know I was on parole and I needed to like not drop dirty, you know, and um, right. you know for me like you know I love drugs and alcohol, you know I'd been using since I was like about thirteen or fourteen, um, like all day every day. And I loved it. Um, I still love drugs and alcohol, even though I haven't done them for 19 years. <laughs> um, but, you know, I try not to lie to myself about mm-hmm. it. You know, like if I smell alcohol around me, I'm like, that smells great. Or <laughs> <laughs> if I smell weed around me, I'll just be like, oh, actually, we're on weed really late. I'm just like, oh. you know, I've turned into an old person. Like, what's that mm. smell? <laughs> um, you became crotchety about weed right when it got legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. These kids out yes, here smoking yes. this legal weed. Yes, yes, yes. 40 year old soccer ball. Well, no, when my, really, it was like when my daughter started smoking, you know, and I was just like, you know, it was like my a moral panic with my parents about it. And yeah. I was just like, everyone smokes weed. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are we doing? Um, but um, I think recovery always came first because I, I don't feel like I would even be the organizer I am today. In what way? Today. What did it oh, you know, I think, you know, at least in recovery, you know, we kind of have this thing of like open-mindedness, willingness and honesty and patience, mm-hmm. love and tolerance, which I think for an organizer, it's important to have. I think it goes to like that relationship building and like, you know, there's like, like, like I think friendships in one way, but then still having relationships yeah. with people that, that are yeah. meaningful. You know, in most recovery spaces, I, I don't have a lot of friends in recovery, but I have people who have a lot of deep relationships with mm-hmm. like recovery. Like we yeah. and, and I guess they're much more like spiritual, like like relationships. You know, I think working through like, being toxic and especially in my intimate relationships, right? Right, being toxic in intimate relationships, being emotionally abusive, like not being a good partner. Um, and I think even as a parent, like failing as a parent a lot of times, recovery allowed me to have a vehicle to move through those things and um, be accountable to those things. But also recovery allowed me to like at least in like my organizing work, you know, for better or for worse, I think for, think for better, like not bring that toxicity to like movement work. Hmm. Whereas I think a lot of times um, people in movement work don't have that kind of outlet, like in a recovery community, not just an outlet. I think just like 
it's literally a program and like um and like spiritual principles and practices right. that you have to do. And a lot of times people uh, are going to the movement work for that. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. Well, yeah. 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 People just want to share. Yeah. Which as an organizer really annoys you. <laughs> like when you're just like, okay, I feel the testimony. We, we, Testimonies yeah. are important. But we need to build like a 12 step <laughs> check in. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. Check. We're going to go yeah. to this basement and check in. <laughs> and yeah. then we'll come here and we'll do our movement work. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so I just, I, you know, like recovery work i mean even though i don't want to minimize like being toxic in my own personal life but i think at least in movement work Mm. like actual movement work you know like the the day-to-day of being a good organizer i was able to like not be toxic like i could like hear people out Mm. um i didn't shut down conversation it taught me like no you sit with a person for an hour and try to figure this out right it doesn't mean like you fall back on what your values are or pop policies are what you need to do as an organizer don't have like very upfront conversations, but I think you you learn how to have upfront conversations in a way that's um that's like gentle and affirmative. Like, you know, if someone's like, Oh, I don't believe organizing should be door knocking or should be this or that, and you're just like, Well, this is what we're practicing here, you know, and like um <laughs> whereas I think other people then, you know, I and I've seen other people like they take in the negativity, they Personally, take in they take yeah. in the political differences, they take in the yeah. philosophical differences of what organizing should be or not be. And then turn it on the membership or the people that they're in struggle with. You know, it has always allowed me to like hmm. be show up for organizing in a really like honest, open and like um, healthy way. Because at, at the core of it, my, my understanding is like, you know, one of the central tenets is just accepting all of someone's humanity. Right. Yeah. So good in that scale. It, it, and, and well, <laughs> accepting someone's all of someone's humanity. In order to transform it. Who's who who is who is. A lot of times, shitting on your theory of change, (laughs) shitting on your approach to change, shitting on the actual experience that you have for change, and then usually, sometimes you're talking to a person who has, who you know has never lifted a finger for anything, only only complaints, right? Like, 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 so it's it's, like they're not at their best by nature, like that. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so, like, you you know, it's usually within that kind of those kind of contexts where it's not like you know, I'm not trying to romanticize the other person as like they're the this great person or this whatever but it's like you know organizing requires you to to work with shitty people you know what i mean and like people who don't know how to show up at work or don't know how to do this or and so you have to have an approach that actually like allows people to be shitty and ratchet Mm -hmm. and ugly Mm -hmm. um but still be willing to like hold them accountable and like not enable them um but then also like connected to like the larger political project of like getting free and like confronting this is this is a government Sorry, I cut you off your last words, but this is another point of like where my the magnitude of my respect for you, because uh, I don't know if you remember, I credit BYP all the time in terms of just like me entering in the movement. We, you know, the Let Us Breathe Collective came from just going down to Ferguson, just showing up, meeting some people, trying to figure out do what we were doing, and we built this relationship with Lost Voices. Oh yeah, um, yeah, 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 and then yeah, we came yeah, up and yeah. had a meeting, yeah. and it was you and Malcolm. Oh shit, okay. <laughs> and nice, so it was nice, me, nice. Lost Voices, and you and Malcolm just kind of just like building and just trying to yeah. see what it was, um, and that's the first time I heard you identify as you know being in recovery and like we have folks oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know living with addiction yeah in in the group so it just you didn't know that okay i think you might have picked up on it but yeah. you just like said it with such like a honesty and confidence that one like just respect like oh you've been through some shit like you're just not a rapper and you're just not like you know there's some life to it but also back to the mentor we mentioned at school my last semester i was taking a social movements course Ooh, okay. um nice. and so she one 
uh, had been there a long time. She's, you know, a black woman, like, in her early 60s. She's, her and Barbara were actually sisters-in-law for a little bit. Oh, shit. Yeah, just crazy, right? (laughs) Um, But she's, like, all over the place. And she has tenure, so she's, like, unabashedly all over the place. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But it made these great learning opportunities because in the social movements course, she brought in folks from AA. Oh, because she she went to participate it oh, um, for thirty five years, and yeah, and exactly, what she yeah. said was like we can look at it as way as this is one of if not the most successful movement and well organized movement around the world. Like, yeah, and yeah. so bringing it in, then that made me have a respect for the principles and the the values of it. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm saying all this to then connect to like the work that we've done over the last year that now we like can talk about in public of like yeah. past the you know the yeah. commitment of of trying to address what was that work Damien? so it's a program i'm i'm sensitive about the name cuz it was <laughs> it was made for something it was it's for it's for a very specific targeted audience and i know that people were like nye, 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 about it <laughs> this, this is a bad title safe space <laughs> but it's very intentional in terms of of who, what the ultimate intention and target is but it's called man up man down um and it it it, it was designed to start with black men who have engaged in liberatory movement uh to to be able to one just build more collective relationships you know do consciousness raising around patriarchy and gender constructs and then leading towards trying to figure out what new response systems to harm uh, particularly gendered and sexual harm looks like uh with the understanding of within movement so much of that work then falls on women and femme who are then probably extra not probably are traumatized and triggered by that having yeah, to respond to yeah, that work yeah. and part of i think what like crystallized it in the development is like oh and you can challenge this if you want like kind of comparing patriarchy and like masculinity almost as like a toxic ad- addiction yeah. um and yeah. so therefore like we need a collective space to be able to recover and 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 figure out and so like we're not like actually 12 stepping for real but some of the like the ethos of it no pun intended 12 stepping stepping set but but yeah and so um and and you also referenced how you know recovery work helped you and gave you tools to address toxicity both in your private and public life so i just wanted to like throw that out into the world and and yeah and so part of the plan was to do all of 2019 without any public messaging um, just to like kind of be underground, trying to make sure we know we're talking about built the relationships, and so now we know we can talk about it out loud. Is basically yeah. <laughs> if if people want to know more about kind of where that lives, what it's been, and what the next steps are. Are we not there yet? That's pretty much my responsibility. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Hit me. <laughs> well, all of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of us. Yeah. So we're trying to figure that out. Of like, also now of being open. How do we be a a a, a portal or an entry point mm-hmm. that folks can connect yeah. into? So I guess. Look but, at I mean, my inactive but, Twitter. Yeah, and, but if you're, I mean, a black or email, if there you go. Yeah, if you're a black man and, um, you know, you're just interested in it, then yeah. hit up Damon. Hit up, or, and, or, hit up Jason, Ergo. hit up yeah. Ergo. And, yeah. And, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, 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 it's through relationship at this point. But the yeah. goal is to get it to be more formal and more more open to, to, the, to the public and community. So, yeah, I just wanted to throw that intersection in there while also naming the, I don't know if you ever remember that meeting with Lost Voices. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. I didn't, I don't remember the recovery part being special, but yeah, yeah. Okay. You just, you, you just offer it. Right? Yeah, part yeah, of your yeah, story yeah. And part I mean, of I think it, 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 it's, I mean, it's, it's why I also do move, movement work, right? I think mm-hmm. it's like, you know, recovery stuff is always has a thing of like, you know, we don't do politics. We don't do organize. We don't do these kind of things. Cause like, we're just focused on like trying to recover you know mm. like that that's <laughs> it which i think is important right i think that's like the strength of it um and which is why i think there does need to be spaces like when you when you're dealing with like sexism uh when you're dealing with um heterosexism like 
um, especially people who have done harm or do harm, to have spaces where they can just focus on that. And that's their focus about how to be accountable to it. So part of why I usually offer it up is, um, I mean, I never say like what program I'm actually in, but like I I, I, I offer up that like I'm, I'm in recovery and I've been recovered just because, you know, what also got me into movement work was just seeing like the disparities and like how um, I was punished versus like, you know, I had the benefit of like growing up in a neighborhood that was middle class, mm-hmm. um, but then also then had had white folks. And I could see that um, I think Van Jones is just talking about this of just like. Yeah. It's like oh. I lived in like a like a drug infested <laughs> yeah. criminal area I, and it was I, Yale University. I, right. <laughs> I, I, and I did too. And it was yeah. called Edgebrook, you know, on the north side of Chicago, you know. And so you get to see like just all these white people like doing drugs, selling drugs committing acts of violence, like, you know, getting the fights, all these different things, right? Um, and it's just treated so differently. And then when I was locked up, though, it was it was all black folks. It was all black folks and Latinx folks. And so I think that, like, that jarred me. And I think, too, that just, like, a lot of, especially, like, brothers who come into, like, movement work, we're dealing with a lot of other stuff in terms of our, our own, like, our own oppression. But then I think the oppression that we do to other people. Right. Um, and so, and a lot of times it's really hard for us to see us as actually oppressing other people, harming other people, doing acts of violence, especially if it's not like violence with a capital V, like mm-hmm. formal violence, like, mm-hmm. oh, I hit you or, right, or right. things like that. So I just think it's important to like share just so that people know like there's a place and a space for a journey if you want to take that journey mm-hmm. and if you want that kind of help. Um, and also too, that it's just like, you know, my involvement in in movement work isn't just like um, some sort of like savior stuff or whatever. It was like me trying to confront my own demons and confront like my own issues and um, confront like the things that I experienced in my life. And that I realized that I couldn't just personalize all those things that it was also structural, right? It was also yeah. this thing called the war on drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also like the education system, mm-hmm. you know, it was also, and that, and that's me coming Housing from segregation. Yeah. 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 And this is me coming from like a middle class, like a, a middle class home. Like I can't imagine for how it is like for people who actually come from like low income places or, or working class. But if places, you personalize right? it on one of the only explanations is a personal shortcoming, right? Yeah. 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 It was like a personal shortcoming or it wasn't a personal shortcoming, but then I made it and I overcame right. due to the village. So then I lift as I climb, you know, like, like that, that, that kind yeah. of like redemptive narrative. Yeah, I'm a yeah. servant leader, that kind of redemptive na- narrative too. That doesn't. I get- love when you say those tropes, you like roll your eyes, but you mute it. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, no. Well, well, I guess I'm, no, I'm being critical of lift as you climb right. and of servant leadership only in the sense of that. Like if it's lift as you climb or servant leadership in like the sense that Obama's talk about it or mm-hmm. like, it's not about confronting like the sources of oppression in our lives that collectively put us in these positions where we then need a redemptive narrative. Like I don't want us to have redemptive their narratives yeah. anymore. And like, I want a world where we don't need that. Yeah, you want and redemption, that, not redemptive yeah. narratives. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, I want rede- redemption, but I guess in some level, I want a world where we don't need redemption. Right. right? Yeah. Like, like, like that, like the, the right, where you're just deemed. Yeah, 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 right. We're just deemed. trying to be deemed, <laughs> right, right, right. And so, um, and certainly not because I mean, if there is redemption, it truly is for personal reasons. It's not because of like structural, like right. you know, not because right. of capitalism, not because of anti-black racism, not because of heteropatriarchy, things like consciousness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bourgeois liberal consciousness. So that's why I share it. And then I think the other level of terms of like how I think in terms of I mean, I agree with you on the on the level of like what it does for sexism. I know for myself in terms of like my journey in terms of like dealing with my own toxic masculinity being extremely harmful to the point of like being emotionally abusive in relationships you know to the point where like i had to leave byp 100 because of it and Mm -hmm. i think to the point of like you know i had the benefit though of having recovery community 
And in the recovery community, you have this thing called sponsor, you know? Mm-hmm. And there was like a moment where I was still like trying to like self-justify my actions and being like, oh, that really wasn't emotional abuse or that wasn't this or that, or I don't really have this pattern. And so like, you know, you get to have a community of people who just call you out on your bullshit, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like I had a sponsor be like, okay, let's look up abuse, you know? <laughs> and like, we just look up the word abuse, you know? And there's actually nothing in it about like hitting someone right. or calling someone a B word <laughs> or whatever. It was like, I forgot the technical definition, but like, what I did definitely fit within that <laughs> definition, you know, like like that was abuse. Yeah, that but was, what about the a, definition maker? Right, right. I could have gone there, like what do Marion Webster know? Right, fuck Marion, fuck Webster. Right, right, right. So you know, but like having that group of people who can like hold you accountable to that, um, especially I think in like this like call out culture world. Like I, I'm not against call out culture. I'm not against cancel culture. Right. I just think that there does need to be institutions and mechanisms that then are able to hold people because. I think the point of call out culture, cancer culture, I think like, in, you know, when you're giving it, it's, it's not like the, the liberal versions of mm-hmm. them, but like like the, the radical versions of them is like, you know, you still you want to transform behavior and make sure right. people are safe. And so, you know, being a part of recovery community allows me to transform behavior because like, you know, at least for me, my process is, is like I literally have to write a list of like everybody I harm. I literally have to write a list of people I resent. Like I have to write a list about like how I messed up in, in, in relationships or how I messed up as a parent. And then I have or to how like seeing yourself or how I'm seeing myself. And, I, and then I have to write a list of like my, even if I'm mad at someone else, I have to write a list of my role in it and what caused that. And like, mm. what are the things and like, you know, is it rooted in fear? Is it rooted in dishonesty? Is it rooted in lust? Is it rooted like all these different things? I have to, I have to like process those things and then I have to share that with someone else. And then I have to like, talk about my role is and I have to talk about how I'm going to actually make amends to those people right and there's yeah. times when you just literally can't make amends to those people right. and they don't want you, and you to you have to accept that too and you yeah. have to accept that too and then learn how to actually like change your behavior to make sure you don't repeat it again because yeah. at least in recovery community like an amends isn't just I'm sorry or I messed up or like an admission it's, it's, not, it's yeah apology and amends I, are two different things yeah, right? yeah 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 and like the amends is actually you've changed that behavior so mm-hmm. you no longer do that same behavior again mm-hmm. and like you're in the present time and subsequent like friendships relationships whatever it is that you're doing you know and and this is the 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 like ultimate expression of something that we've like diluted or made cliche of like why we need to center the margins right because when we talk about abolition so often it's just like the big theory or the abstract or just oppositional um but you know the recovery community folks who have dealt with addiction and other like have created an actual process for accountability for engaging conflict for responding to harm which is what we're speaking towards when we say abolition but oftentimes we don't have the the experience or the just the technical practice yeah. of how to get it to to these type of processes on like a day to day for the minute, right? Like we can maybe wrestle something together when like something really extreme happens and we all but need to the, stop. But just like day to day, we are in conflict and yeah. we are shaped by violent structures. And recovery, I think, is so important on the margins because it gives us a real example of the how to toolkit. It. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Approach. And we we'd ask you know what we could do but it's tough to know what to ask because it's anonymous <laughs> <laughs> well no no it's not well it's, it's not <laughs> i know well you I notice know. i didn't say any specific yeah, anonymous yeah. program i just say recovery community in general um which even, well, even what kind of anonymous is anonymous in this yeah which i it's yeah, part well, of the process right is you don't always name yeah yeah, well, you're not supposed to say, you're not at the level yeah. of like press, radio, and film. You're not supposed to say like whatever. You can say like recovery community or I do recovery right. work, but you, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not supposed to, to say that. But you can. I mean, the books are there. Everyone knows the right, 12 steps just, and the processes. And then there's yeah. wonderful histories like Not God um, by Ernest Kearns. Um, 
There's like the cultural history of the recovery movement by, I forgot her name, but like there, there's a tons of books about like what it is about. Yeah. And it actually goes into like, then like the movement features of like what indigenous people were doing. Um, what Because actually a lot of recovery work that we understand today, a lot of it was started by indigenous communities in the Americas in response mm. to like rampant alcoholism mm. brought on by colonization. Wow. So um, yeah, it's th- political in its order. And that's yeah, part of what Keisha taught is that yeah. alcohol was part of the european culture like right. for yeah. hydration right because then was brought the water, and introduced right. yeah and like that that was a part of the conquest right like as much as like measles and guns were brought like liquor yeah. was brought yeah. and it has had like genealogical yeah, destruction yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's fascinating yeah see that's yeah. why you record two hours <laughs> to get that done um, <laughs> I don't know. yeah we, we got to be considerate of your time yeah, and yeah. our own i know <laughs> no um I could do this. Uh, literally, this is what Damon meant by like you're like a a learner and a thinker and a yeah. teacher. So thanks for sharing all this. Time I want to part these. two this. I know I've been saying that a lot. Don't make it happen. <laughs> but at some point, would you want to come back on and, and keep? Yeah, going? of course. Okay. I love talking. So. <laughs> I love hearing myself talk. So. Oh, helps me out. Yeah, like where I'm at. So. Let's check out real quick. What's something from the conversation uh, that's sticking with you, resonating, or just how you're feeling right now? Uh, well, this is beautiful. This is, you know, I, I want to do a podcast one day in a, and I love podcasts. I love y'all podcasts. So, um, yeah, thank you for this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was good rapping with y'all and sure. uh, it just it flowed so easy. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I really appreciate it. Yeah. What's thinking with you, Dave? You know, I, I think I've said it a lot. Definitely just like, you know, this, this feeling of appreciation and admiration. In general, I don't have that a lot in life, uh, but definitely intimately. And I think, you know, the last year of like the work that we did, definitely like our relationship has grown. So there's, there's just like a lot of that of like, this is somebody I deeply admire. And then seeing how that kind of like, once I get almost like too excited or too comfortable, I feel like I get weird and like not being able to be concise in my questions. So th- there, there, there's a little bit of, of that at play. But, but really, I just, I think deeply about theory and I watch how you put it into place. And then I also, I think this conversation is making me think of all the times, like I can remember specifically learning in a moment. Like I remember responding to a public call out and like watching Jason administer an accountability process and like talk about patriarchy in real time, like Hmm. stopping our friend from like saying this and like using this as a lesson for the table. I can remember a specific meeting where he told us the numbers of how many actions there were in the 60s and how that compares to now. (laughs) I remember being at UIC and like him introducing the language of anti-blackness and teaching it in like a very nuanced, very like, oh, I needed that to be able to to speak with the tongue that I want. Just feeling a great gratitude and appreciation and admiration and like I feel in your legacy and in your lineage. And so just, you know, that is, I think, what what's grounding me. Mm-hmm. What about you? I'm thinking a lot about the that clarity we talked about. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. a highlight. The moment of clarity piece of... Thank God for Grant Emmy this moment. Right. I know, that's what I thought. <laughs> <about. laughs> <All right. laughs> it's going to be the Pop outro. I didn't yeah. cry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you killed this on our own beat, is what we're saying. <laughs> no, but I think sometimes, we, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about how relationships to structural power play out in interpersonal relationships, right? Like that's yeah. our whole yeah, exercise, yeah. what we do on the mic and we do workshops. And I think sometimes I think about it in terms of like, that's necessary to analyze so that then the things that are built, it's very like linear, but it's also, it's so important <laughs> to create that personal clarity, that moment of feeling like you haven't been diminished, that moment of feeling like you haven't had violence enacted on you. That's a equally important 
purpose of building those structures is to try to create more of those moments of clarity because that's what keeps people coming back, right? Yeah. Like if yeah. what you described, that'll propel you <laughs> in this work for a while, yeah. you know? Yeah. Trying to be clarity moment creating entities yeah. is a really useful thing, at least for me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, and I think it's, I think it's what gets us closer to winning. Like I, right. some people are like winning is bad or something. I don't <laughs> know. But you know, like, I mean, for me, winning is like, you know, a socialist revolution where, you know, the United States government is toppled and like all corporations have ended and they're all publicly owned. And probably on a so, global level, like the nation state formation. Yeah. On a global is, level. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at a, like a global level yeah. too. Like not, yeah. It's not, not just America. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not just America. Right. America is an important step though. Like <laughs> everywhere else. So yeah, no, I, 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 I feel you on that. Yeah. 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 All right. Play the game? Let's play the game real quick. Okay. All right. So, so important game. I don't know if you saw our origins of this game, uh, but we used to do beef with RB singers. Okay. Uh, so we've expanded this notion okay. of beef as an accountability oh, you tool. You are the perfect person for this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's, it's a little bit more abstract, okay. a little bit more expansive, which means okay. we're going to rock. So like I used to say, R&B singers have run amok in my life. Okay. But there is another entity that ran amok, and that is the time-defined 20th century. The 20th century was fucking crazy. Okay. Madness. What I've been saying is if the 21st century is anything like the 20th century, we probably won't have a 22nd. (laughs) (laughs) So we allow or we invite our guests every week to start beef with a history, a person, a phenomenon, a policy, a thing, an event, a song, an R&B singer. Anything that happened from 1900 to 1999, you get to start beef with and why. The biggest thing I have, I have beef with is is just like people who are just ideology centric, right? Like ideology centric okay. to the point and like to the point of abstraction where it's like you know, and they just hold on to the ideology as like an identifier instead of like um and, and so I'm talking about political ideologies, right? Okay. Like, like I'm an abolitionist, I believe in decolonization. Yeah, you know I'm a socialist, and that was 20th century, not not 21st. Um, no, that was definitely 20th. That was 20th. I think that's yeah, yeah, 20th. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Once you got people... I mean, I, I'm I, a cultural I, nationalist. I'm a pan-Africanist. I'm, I'm, a, tro- I mean, I, I'm a Trotskyite. <laughs> right, yeah, 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 like, yeah, 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 yes, yes, like yes, yes. you're in yeah. Pennsylvania. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, it's 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 in the present, too, not to take away from it. But I think that that's, that's always my, my beef in terms of that, and that my beef with it is, I of course, obviously, I believe ideology is important. Like, I mm-hmm. identify as, like, an abolitionist, as a socialist, right, as someone right, who believes right. in a project of decolonization. Um, but ideology for the sake of idea- ideology unconnected to, like, political organizations and, like, organizations hmm. that do movement work and organizing is— um, A body that you're accountable to. Yeah, a body that you're accountable to and a body that that's actually seeking to be in co- conversation and community with and in relationship with people who don't identify as— abolitionists or socialists mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or um you know people are fighting for decolonization like you know that that's that's always like my my biggest beef of like i'm not you know i i want to be in community with people who who i grew up with like i, I want to be in community with my cousins yeah. you know like my, my family yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. i don't want to be in people at the barbershop like right, i don't want right. to be just in community with an ideological um, separatist yeah it becomes yeah. like a tool of exclusivity rather yeah. than a yeah. tool for work <laughs> yeah yeah and, right. and for building power and like winning and transforming society because yeah. i don't i don't understand any other way we build power and win and, and change society like i i want a revolution like i want to win and not like a revolution like you know dipset is a revolution <laughs> <laughs> uh, or a movement like i want one a new where, political economy yeah, I want a new political government. I want a new government. I want a new yeah. Exactly. That's a reformist reform. Dipset is a reformist <laughs> reform. 
right, let's close. <laughs> Cameron's a liberal, <laughs> folks. Maybe uh, <laughs> 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 supports Bernie. <laughs> Jason, uh, how can folks find you and your work in the ways you want to be found? Um, I mean, you can always email me, Jason Perez at gmail.com. Two S's. With two S's, J A S S O N. Which is, that's hot. P E R E Z. That's all my mom. So shout out to my mom. Shout out to mom. Yes, I've watched her twice called you two S. Yeah, yeah. She just like she just gave me like it's just so it's so interesting. My mom is like such a low key person, but she just has like this like oh you know she's Puerto Rican, she's not black, but she just has this like way with herself. Like she always like she like taught me about my hair. You know what I'm saying? Like like I mean just like things that like even though she never had hair like mine. Like it was just there's just so many low key like amazing shout out to moms about about my mom. I gotta meet your mom. You you talk about all the time. Yeah yeah. So they can email you anything else? Any other work coming up? You want people at at Iola Ella? That's my. I guess Twitter handle <laughs> I I O L A and then L E L L A yeah cool and then that's it yeah. and then any work with the um, the caucus that you have if people are interested oh yeah if you're, if you're interested in Afrosoc caucus I think just hit up our Twitter I think at Afrosoc I think it's just Afrosoc um, or you can email me um, or Bianca Cunningham too but we have also a Chicago Afrosoc DSA thing to to hit up too if you're interested in Afrosoc yeah we want more people people of color please come through thank you so much for being here and. Uh, Topping it up with us. We're at Ergo Radio. I'm Damon underscore AF. At Ergo Kiss. And we'll be back next week with another person reshaping the culture of Chicago and beyond for the more equitable and creative. Much love to the people. Peace. Hey, Dame. What's up, Kiss? I want you to meet my friend Miriam here. Hey, Miriam. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Miriam is my oldest friend in the world. The whole world. And she is a devoted podcast listener. Are you? I am. Oh, well, that's love. I don't even just, I don't mean our podcast. I just mean podcasts in general. Okay. I love podcasts. How, how do you usually find your podcast? What do you listen to them on? <sighs> the iTunes mm. app. Yeah, I know. Very basic. You're not thrilled with it? It isn't the best. Well, the good news is we actually have a recommendation for you. Oh, yeah? Well, Ergo is sponsored by Overcast. It's an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. Man, it's for the people. No exclusives, no premium content. No paywalls, just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it free in the app store where you get all the other things. Yeah. You going to check it out? Sounds amazing. Cool. We won you over. Look how effective this ad is. (sighs) Yeah. Pay us more money, folks. (laughs) That's that's advertising in action. You see? Works. (laughs) See, that's how good we are at selling. We're doing this. Hey, yo, Harold, hit me up, man. I am an advocate and I can market your stuff because look how great we just marketed Overcast. We just gave an ad for them and an ad for us. I think it's time to get the fuck out of here. Let's do it.